For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. So as I said, Kevin Galvin standing in for Neil Prenderville Show on today, Wednesday the 10th of May 2023. Uh, and I would normally start with the paper review, but I do have a very busy Ken O'Flynn on line one. So I want to take him here straight away. Uh, Ken, good morning. Can you hear me? Good morning, Kevin. How are you this morning? Very good. All the better that I know that you're on line one and that's all worked properly. <laughs> uh, I, I'm listening to your introduction there. If I was Mr. Prendeville, I'd be hurrying home because you're, you're doing very well. Ah, uh, well, that's talking about buttering up now. You'll, you'll only, you'll, <laughs> <laughs> what do they say about uh, self-praise is no praise? Um, Ken, look, um, I suppose you're, you're into us this morning. Um, cost of living. Um, it's a huge problem. It's intergenerational right across the board. Um, oil prices are up. Gas prices are up. Mortgage prices are up and grocery prices are up I mean there's very little around this country that hasn't gone up in the last number of months well, well, that's the reality of it. And then you read the announcements yesterday that made all the national media um, where international energy companies are um, making the highest profits in 30 years. You'll see um, headlines over the last couple of weeks with various energy providers in this country and throughout Europe making vast profits. Um, you know, the, the reality here is that we have a government that's just sitting on its hands. You know, they're throwing a 200 euros here and 100 euros there. Uh, to this cause and that cause. The reality is that the government hasn't gotten a grip on what's actually happening out there in society. So I think they're very, very detached from what's going on. We have people that... The reality is that people that are my age uh, and younger, your age as well, that are uh, contributing to society, that are working, that are getting, you know, I'm talking about couples that are getting up in the morning, going out to work, um, trying to put it in the meat of the table, paying mortgages or paying large rents. Uh, they're finding it extremely difficult. I have people I, at my office and ringing me on a regular basis, people that would never make contact with politicians normally, but telling me how difficult life has become for them, in particular when it comes to those that are on tracker mortgages who have seen six increases since last July. There are other people on different sets of mortgages who have seen almost 20% increase in their mortgage. I know from my, from my own experience, my mortgage has gone up by 400 euros uh, in the last 12 months. Mm. Uh, and that's the, re- that's the reality of life. I, and I know, look, I, I know sitting on their hands is something that, that Sinn Féin, ahead of Sinn Féin, Mary Lou Macdonald has said, the party leader, um, they're calling for an energy cap. What, what do you make of those proposals? Well, energy energy caps are fine. I think what we really have to do is, is attack the price, price gouging that's going on. There are energy companies that are definitely price gouging. Their costs have come down considerably. We have, but you see, the, the, it's not, what people have to understand, it's not just the energy regulator needs to be checked because the energy regulator has very little powers, essentially, when it comes to the this gouging that's going on. There has to be an independent energy czar like what they have in the United States and they have in other places as well where they have an independent commission looking at the energy companies because the reality is I have now somebody that would rang me the other day. They had got a 7,000, a small business. They had their normal bill for the last quarter 12 months ago would have been about 2,500 euros for the electricity. It's now 7,800. Mm. Now that price, that price is going to be passed on to you and me. 
because if they're going to keep their doors open, if they're going to keep their margins and be able to pay their staff and pay their overheads and pay their bank loans and the rest of it, that has to be passed down to you and me. So that means an increase in their services and prices. And that, that's the reality of what's but happening. Yeah, but yeah, well, well, we, have no, we, have, we, have, we have no stimulus packages that are, being, that are beneficial to those people that are working. Those people that are, have, have uh, the 60-odd, 68,000 people, I think, that are on the tracker mortgages at the moment, aren't getting any benefits, aren't getting any, any relief whatsoever. They're the people that are contributing all the time. They're being hit with mortgage increases. They're being hit with energy increases. And again, as you said, you go into the shop and the, the green grocer, the whole, or, the, or the big supermarkets, they have to pass on their, their price increases. That's the price increase but in petrol. Look, That's the price increase. And, and, but here, Ken, I mean, you're talking about record profits and, and you know, I suppose well, looking up in, into well, today, but well, but no, just just I suppose we talk about just Ken, just just Ken, Ken, just Ken, just let me explain it a little bit. Sorry. So I suppose the thing about record profits is, you know, we we look at people like Electric Ireland and ESB as a whole, but as a matter of fact, they're both generators. They're kind of generating it and selling it, but then at the same time also providing it for people. And when we look at the wings of those companies that are actually energy suppliers, so as in you know the, your 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 electricities, your Electric Ireland's, they're telling people. That that they're, they're recording losses and that they're actually trying to make ends meet in terms of their own and that, that it's the actual the other wings of the companies that are able to come in. I mean, there's a, there's a piece here, um, like it's, it's, you know, this is from bankers.ie, which says, if we start bringing in energy price caps, we'll see small independent energy suppliers, uh, thousands of job losses like we saw in the UK. So, I mean, it, you know, th- is there enough of an understanding there that in terms of the difference between the amount of energy that we sell and, and supply and the amount that, I, that, that, that I, the companies I, are actually making yeah. off the average consumer. I, I, I think there is and I think that's where the problem lies with the Sinn Féin argument in introducing energy caps. What we do have to have is an energy czar that is looking at these companies see, uh, drilling down through their figures. They're producing a set of figures and they have a PR person or uh, several PR people that are uh, making various announcements here and there. But nonetheless, you can't, you can't argue when a company in Saudi Arabia which is selling oil and supplying, supplying energy to most of Europe um, is making trillions and trillions of, of, of dollars profit. That's the reality of it. You can't, you look, we can't, you know, we've gone from a situation where COVID was being blamed for everything, energy costs. I was speaking to a builder the other day who told me that they're pulling people off sites because they can't guarantee the price of the tiles on the roof in nine months' time. Like the economy cannot keep on going. We are heading towards a recession, admittedly a different type of recession because there's such a housing crisis that's out there at the moment. What I'm looking for the government to do is to come up with a, both a stimulus package for those that are on mortgages, that are those that are finding it difficult. And I'm telling you here and now, there are people that are out there working two jobs, you know, a husband and a wife or, or a couple that are working two jobs, that are doing everything right, that are, if one of them becomes unemployed, they're three months. They're three months away from losing everything. But it, that is the reality of yeah. Cork at the moment. That is the reality of life in Ireland at the moment. And that can't be. That can't be sustained. But how much? How much can we? I mean, to come up with stimulus packages. But, but how much I, can we I do with the the ECB at the moment? I mean, the ECB yeah. is is, is increasing mistaken, interest rates across the board. I mean, every country is is is. is we're seeing right across it. Europe mortgage rises. Yes, and we and we signed into we signed into that, and I accept that. But equally, there can be packages brought in. Stimulus packages brought in very, very easily. I think actually there's Mick reported it, or maybe it was Neil a couple of days ago, reported it on the, on the programme that we have an extra 25 billion euros mm. this year. Mm. Now, I'd like to see the 25 billion euros being spent on Irish people with genuine problems. 
But it, yeah. aren't, that are not being looked after. But really, would you would you after. like to see all twenty five billion of that? You wouldn't see any like to see any of that put away for capital projects, any of that put away I for like, things I like a rainy day okay, fund that 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 helped us right. through the the economic crash the last time. Okay. But look, like so there, there's a huge crisis out there. We have an increase of 49% of, whole, of children in emergency accommodation in Ireland. The money should be spent in addressing that. We we'll go, go walk, down, walk down Patrick Street, meet the amount of people that are homeless, meet, meet the amount of people that are, that are worried about being able to pay next month's mortgage, meet the amount of people that I'm talking to today that have to make the decision between filling the car to get to work, between picking out what food they could feed their children, um, because they're not buying the fresh fruit and veg that they should be buying, they're buying lesser products inside and Aldi's and Little and the rest of it, trying to, try to make savings that way, and choosing then whether you pay the gas bill or whether you pay the electricity bill this month. Bear in mind that one in four Irish people are currently behind on their gas bills at the moment. Yeah, it's something that, that like was alluded to yesterday. Yeah, the, the, the Commission for Regulation, it's 23% uh, behind. Um, and I suppose, look, look have, there's no, there's no doubting... Have. There's no doubting there's 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 a huge issue with cost living and there's a huge issue with you know the amount that people can do. But I, I, I suppose like you know Look, for all the rhetoric that is out there and all the all the blustering about oh we're giving you two hundred euros this month off this and we're giving you a hundred euros down the line, that's chicken feed into what's actually happening, into those that are that need it. But and I suppose even 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 the argument the argument would be Ken sorry, the argument would be that 200 euros is only giving money to, it's only kind of uh, I suppose the well I suppose and also uh, kind of uh, admitting to energy companies that, that look we'll, we don't worry about it we'll give you because essentially what it is is the government direct paying energy companies through the pockets of people who are at home now it does obviously help Correct. people here but it ultimately leads to further inflation because they can get away with charging what they want <laughs> And essentially, it's our money anyway. It's our yeah. taxpayers' money <laughs> is paying it. So it's, it's yeah. coming out of your pocket either way, just in a different direction. And that's the reality. That's the reality of it. Look, I'm telling you that I'm telling you very straight out. What I'm hearing back is that this country is entirely, or this government is entirely detached. Um, either it's either total uh, and utter not caring, mm-hmm. or else it's total and utter negligence. And I suspect actually it's the second. I suspect that it's more negligence than anything else, that we have people in there at the top that don't know what they're doing, they're not taking advice, they're not listening to those in different industries that are willing to give them advice, and they're not taking on board the genuine concerns of people. And I'm telling you, there is not, if coming out in to meet me at my clinics is a very, very different type of person than that was going out three years ago or four years ago to me. The people that are coming out are the people with genuine concerns that are working, that are afraid of losing their houses, that are in rented accommodations, um, paying 1200 to 1600 1800 like, um, with landlords telling them that they have to go. I've had a person out with me on Monday morning who told me that because of the increase of the tracker mortgages, their landlord is now getting out of the business because he can't pass on a higher rent to them. So he's now selling up the house. Yeah. So you have a huge knock. I know, but, uh, but, uh, but nobody uh, seems to be taking notice of this. Yeah, ultimately, Ken, though, like the, the real issue here is that um, is that you know, like we're we're pretty much not in control of any of this. We're not in control of energy suppliers. We're not in control of because we import almost eighty percent of the energy that we have. We're not in com- we're not in control of mortgage rates because well, largely well, because the are, ECB sets them. Are, so how much we are in control? We are in control of our own finances. We are in control of introducing stimulus packages that are effective. That are 
are go to the heart of what, what's needed. Uh, we are in control of that. We are in control of being able to introduce subsidies, etc., or short-term subsidies to get people out of holes. That's what we're incapable of. We're, ca- we're also capable, and we saw it on the dial, we were very capable during, during lockdown when we could um, introduce eviction bans and the whole lot, uh, and we can lift them very quickly. We, so we are capable, you know, it's all very, it's a, it's a very easy tool for people in government to say, oh, well, you know, it's the lads in Europe are dictating to us and the lads in Europe are telling us what to do. We have our own Minister of Finance. We have our own departments that are collecting uh, finance and bringing in an awful lot of corporation tax, etc. There are ways and there are means, but you have to listen to the experts. You have to appoint the experts. You, you know, I'd love to tell you I have the answer to everything but i have i can i can tell you one thing i if, if if i don't know how to do something i find a man or a woman that can and that can tell me what give me the best advice but nobody seems to be listening at the top and certainly nobody seems to be listening That's to the people that are calling into your show are calling into Neil's show every, every day that we there's, there's certainly no shortage of, shortage of advisors for our current minister for um, for the environment well, anyway that much in transport well, but can, can it, I just, it, just to it, take it, it to the more go I'll on, tell you know about that it'll be very interesting to have a look at the CVs and how qualified these people that have been appointed into the advisor positions yeah um, look it, mortgages and I suppose I just want to finish off with this I'm I suppose unusually there's not many uh, people sitting in this chair that would be currently are looking at a mortgage I'm one of those can certainly tell you um and going to brokers i think um for me it certainly seems to be seems to be the way forward why why is it that look this 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 mortgage rate has been creeping up we've heard of people and it is it's a massive like it is a huge issue i mean it doesn't it doesn't it affects you no matter what your circumstances are no matter what you decide to do you can own your electric vehicle you can be self sustainable you can do all that and yet you're still being hit by mortgage rates why is it that this is the last thing we have seen the government take action on we've seen action on uh, energy crisis with credits, but when it comes to mortgages, why is it ta- why is it taking so long to actually get something done about this? There's, there's, it's been it's been ignored, it's been hidden. Um, t- the interesting thing about it is the people that seem to be paying for everything, the people that are paying their taxes, that are working, that are contributing continuously, don't have any relief, are getting very very little back for what they're contributing into the country, and that's the reality of it. And they're a very very silent majority of people. I'm talking about the fellow that's going out in the white van uh, um, every, every morning. I'm talking about the, the, the hundreds of workers that are going out there every morning to put ends, ends meat on the table that are being hit by death by a thousand paper cuts. And what's happening is nobody is standing up for them. Nobody is talking about it. Nobody is. I'm delighted that you're, you're giving me the opportunity to highlight it here today. But the reality is that government has just disconnected from those people from Middle Ireland. <laughs> Uh, Independent Councillor Ken O'Flynn, thank you very much for joining God us. Um, so yeah, we, we, that is a, a question. Certainly, the the rising cost of energy. Love to hear your thoughts on it. You can text us oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six, or indeed call us oh eight one eight one zero four one zero six. A quick text in here says, "Brad Car Martin don't care about the cost of living crisis. They're more worried about GA fans not being able to watch matches free to air." wake up. Text the Neil Prenderville show now. 086-8104-106 Red FM Kevin Galvin standing in for Neil Prenderville on this Wednesday the 10th of May 928 just ticked over there now. Now we go to a pay-per-view today and there's only one place we could really start across the water in Liverpool. Um, very disappointing night lads. I mean I'm not going to be on it. I'm not going to lie to you. I mean I, I, I had my suspicions going into it that we mightn't have had a chance um, 
and and so it turned out Wild Youth or the Not So Wild Youth as I like to call them but they a great song I mean in fairness it can't be said that it's not a great song um, and it's really grown on me over the last couple of weeks I have to say as somebody who isn't really into pop music and really isn't into uh, Eurovision songs um, I thought it was a really good tune um, but look ultimately yet another year um, as Johnny Logan sang what's another year I'd say yet another year of disappointment I mean you look at our record I'm going to bring in uh, Claire and Seamus on this one um, Claire look at our record over the last well, I mean when did we start going to semi-final stage like maybe 12 or 13 years ago I think we qualified for three finals in that time Jedward gave us mm-hmm. our best result in eighth yeah. uh, the Eurovision hasn't been kind to Ireland in the last no. 20 years and it's really disappointing because Ireland have such a rich history of Eurovision and I think it's typical of Irish people like you're, you know we're so nostalgic like Italian 90 is just mm. you know one of those examples where we're just like every year you know we, we put ourselves down we say ah you know oh maybe we will maybe we won't and then you just kind of sorry go ahead you put yourself down you know like the Irish do but you're always hopeful and there's always that hope and we always wish and we hope and you know we play it cool like you know everyone was playing it cool yesterday I was playing it cool yesterday I said maybe we'll get in maybe we won't and then when Wild Youth came on stage, I was there. I was like, come on, you know, I surely we'll get in. the worst semi-final <laughs> oh, I ever watched. I'm telling... But, and, really? Yeah, and do you know what? I, I, I said, right, I'll, I'll put a fiver on Ireland uh, going on uh, our um, European, uh, our Eurovision expert yesterday saying, ah, yeah, sure, we'll get out of the uh, first semi-final. Laura Manny from Breakfast. She's not here to defend herself. She wasn't sure if we were getting through either because it was a tough semi. I threw the old fiver on and then when I saw Ladbrokes had suspended the betting at 300 to 1 for Ireland to top, I thought, ah, we better go to Paddy Power and put on a fiver at 200 to 1. What did you think about the performance though? Why didn't you think it was good? I thought it was better... It's the best of a bad lot, to be honest, last yeah. night. Um, no, I didn't expect them to actually win the entire Eurovision, but I mm-hmm. thought at least we'd get out of it. But yeah. then the, yeah. the bigger question is, should we be spending 300000 on an annual basis to put people into a song contest that we haven't really uh, done well in nearly 30 years? Well, I mean, look, money? I don't know. I mean... I still think, like, okay, it's three. This might be three hundred thousand a year, but like, I mean, look how much money that we waste. I mean, three hundred thousand a year wouldn't cost a fraction of the HSEs out of contract staff for a single day. So, I mean, for the amount of entertainment, it because people look. I mean, there's always going to be people who think it's a bit kitsch and they think mm-hmm. it's a bit silly and they don't really get it and they think it's rigged. That whole father Ted thing. But I still think there's enough people that re- we all kind of. I think people kind of half begrudgingly sit down and watch it. And I think if we weren't part of it I think we'd be worse off for it a lot of it is about as you know twee as it might sound it is it is the taking part aspect of it and it's one of the biggest shows in the world like it, it nearly matches the Super Bowl with know, views like, in terms of all those millions I out of it like well, there was, about, that, though, just there was about a 10-15 second uh, slot there of uh, just woodland that mm-hmm. um, and the lads driving around the old Ireland Sally, the old Sally Gap, <laughs> I have to say I did take issue with that I mean it is classic like you know well, as a Cork person of course no no, 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 it's there. not even that. Actually, it actually isn't even my Cork bias because I know they're not from Cork themselves, so that's sure. fine, right? I get over that. They don't they don't necessarily have to go up to Shandon Bells every no. single year, right? Just most years, if they don't mind. Yeah, that'll really sell. <laughs> well, maybe with the cruise ships. But my issue with it was they, they were in the Sally Gap, right? And they were all driving and that was fine. And where did they end up? 
outside Johnny Fox's pub. I'm already drinking a pint of the black stuff. Like, can we just... Like, are we still are we still mm-hmm. defined ah, but that was by a zero? They were driving. It doesn't matter. I don't. I don't care whether it's zero or a hundred percent or whatever it is. I just. I found the whole thing a bit. That whole intro. It was fine. It was showing, and I thought it was nice that it wasn't because it's of more. It's cheesiness oh, of the Eurovision though as well, isn't it? I know, but like, can we just? Yeah. Do we all? We don't all. Do you know go what I'd be very interested you know? in seeing because they didn't give us those last night? Is the actual number of people that voted, and that will come out. Country. You, you yeah. will get more statistics broken down. It might come after Saturday and things like that. But like, just in terms of going back to what Seamus was saying is it worth going in is it worth putting the money for it I think maybe a lot of people are criticising Laura really mentioned it and highlighted it yesterday should it come away from the late late should there be a different way that we mm. enter a different way that we, we choose our song we did a thing song? you're a star, you're a star isn't it yeah. Yeah. Mickey so, Joe Hart came out of that Mickey Joe Hart and he did really say. well he, he was you know a really good yeah. entrant and it, I think it, you know it went on for a few weeks and I think the whole country it was a bit of excitement it was something to watch on a Sunday evening something to get involved in mm. you know you vote in you, you, you go for who you want to, and I feel like that I, I feel like there was a big Eurovision um, kind of a kerfuffle that year. Now I was I was a bit small as well, so maybe I was really excited about it. But I just felt like something like that, which a lot of the other European countries do, gets people more excited within the country. And maybe that's the way forward. And maybe that's the best but thing. But then to do. again, are, are we going to do any better? Because like um, since the other nations came in they all everybody seems to be kind of voting for their neighbours so the eastern bloc countries who look after the eastern bloc countries but is um, that is that as is that as and I don't want to spend too long on this because I'm conscious that we did a lot of Eurovision yeah. yesterday and people are kind of being surrounded by it but how much of that is I was, I was listening to Neve Kavanagh speaking mm-hmm. yesterday former winner and she was saying that's as much well part of it, large part of it is a diaspora right so you know we get we always get 12 points from the UK because we have so many Irish people living there surely we have have people in other countries that could vote for us but well, how much of it is cultural just how much of it is, is cultural in terms of like if you're uh, let's say a Slovenian and a Croatian you speak a similar language um, and it's kind of similar music or you're I don't know mm-hmm. you know like you're French and Italian yeah. and you're on the border you're going to be very close there how much of it is that as opposed to it necessarily being yeah, like but, geopolitical uh, yeah but taking that point last night we should have qualified considering the amount of Irish that are over in Australia but also you taking t- the Eastern Bloc point, I and think the that Australians are actually in. You know, in, in the, the there's a lot of Western countries that have won the Eurovision in the last you know ten years, twenty years. You look at it, so I don't think it is like oh, all the Eastern countries vote for the Eastern countries. Yeah. You know, I uh, I mean, we Italy I winning recently, and voting, you know, I mean, look, mm-hmm. I, I I I thought Croatia was definitely my winner anyway, <laughs> and I don't, and I, I mean that sincerely. Like Croatia was the one act, and this is what I would say about Wild Youth, right? It's a great song, but I just thought the whole performance was a little bit forgettable. I mean. Uh, I mean, <laughs> the poor guy, uh, Connor, uh, the, the lead singer, uh, Connor O'Donoghue, he, he, like, the whole jumpsuit, he, he kind of looked like a, sort of some sort of cheap Elvis impersonator, you know? And then the black <laughs> shoes, my mother was just going, the black, oh, the black shoes, oh, why did they give him the black shoes? Did you have the white socks on as well, I didn't see that. Oh, <laughs> so look, I mean, it's, um, it's, 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 a, it's one of those things, um, another year, what's another year? We'll, we will drive into, into 2023 um, and, and we will go on. But uh, look, uh, we'll go, we'll Goats to papers um, and, and much more serious news. Really, um, we um, we had a, a case in court yesterday. Um, a 93 year old woman, um, the violent robbery of her. She was followed by seven minutes by two attackers in Cork City. Um, uh, what the judge described as a scarcely comprehensible act of thuggery in broad daylight. Um, I'll be speaking to Barry Roach on that very very shortly. But uh, Judge Holland Boyle saying, uh, in a city of courageous women, um, the um, 
the, the victim in this uh, case was yet another uh, one of those. Um, I mean, just it's, it's just absolutely frightening um, when you hear of like, a 93-year-old being stalked by, for seven minutes and then attacked in broad daylight in the middle of Cork City. And look, whatever you think about the city and whatever you think about, you know, whether it's on the up or whether it's on the down, I mean, for things like that, like that to happen, you can understand why more elderly people think, I'm, I'm not just not going to go in there. I'm, I'm, I'd much rather go to a shopping centre or I go somewhere else where I feel safe uh, as opposed to going into town. Now, I'll be covering that uh, in more detail with Barry later on. Um, and another story, uh, this is Liam Halen in The Echo. Uh, a man pretended to be taking his Cork residing son in a visit to Dublin Zoo, but instead abducted him and brought him back to Poland without the mother's knowledge or consent. Uh, Judge Catherine Staines imposed a two-year sentence on the boy's father with the last 18 months suspended. I mean, 18 months suspended. It's um, it, Look, I, I, I can understand these, these situations are always very delicate, um, but like, I mean, it's just, it, it always scares me um, how things can get to that point where uh, where, a, where a man kind of feels compelled um, to do that to, 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 to with his son. Um, the judge said he had to serve some period in custody, um, but he obviously could not be named. But the mother said, uh, I was in shock. I could not believe it. My heart went to pieces. I feel like I, I felt like I was dying every day. Um, I still have fear and worry that he will do this again. Um, that's just a, a very, very difficult one. And it, look, it's a subject we've covered on the show before, parental alienation and the difficulties of getting access to children um, post um, your relationship breaking down and I really look, I, I don't envy anybody who's going through that process but that is a very, very frightening uh, thing to come to to uh, to abduct your, abduct your own son and massively frightening uh, for the mother I can only imagine. Um, elsewhere paramedics are voting overwhelmingly for strike action now it's just as well I'm in the hot seat today because I have one or two things to say uh, about the service at the moment. I mean, look, um, again, another group of people I do not envy at all. Um, very difficult job, um, even though not necessarily all of their um, calls are emergency, end-of-life calls, but still they do a huge amount of service. But it's just not working at the moment for the paramedics. I mean, we saw them on strike a couple of years ago because they wanted their uh, they wanted recognition of their union um, because they were being represented by SIP2. They weren't happy with that. They wanted to be um, represented. Uh, by um, NAS um, they finally got that over the line after a, a huge amount of campaigning and now um, just, it's just you know it's it's uh, it's a what the, the SIP2 are saying it's a failure of management to fully implement the recommendations of reform into the reform and modernisation of the service but ultimately if you speak to any paramedic their biggest issue at the moment is the dispatch system I mean, it's just an absolute nightmare. You could be working, supposed to be working a 12-hour shift, you'd be working 7 to 7, or you could be working 8 to 8. And, you know, you have a couple of crews calling sick, you have COVID was a huge issue as well at the time. And then all of a sudden, you are being backed up. You know, you're, you're, just, you're just, Waterford's going to Cork, Cork's going to Tipperary, some crews are going to Dublin, they're being asked then to do shifts while they're in Dublin on something else. So it's just, um, it's an absolute disaster um, for paramedics um, at the moment. 
moment and I really don't envy them because really um, you wouldn't send a truck driver out driving a van for 12 hours in a row or driving a truck never mind to say administering emergency care in the middle of that um, I'm just going to get through some quick other strike action course Cork gas workers now uh, will be striking in relation to pay and conditions in the sector um, they say that uh, they're calling for an annual pay increase of 5% to offset an increase in the cost of living so says you as are the rest of us I can't remember the last time a pay rise has uh, been in line with the cost of living and also the firefighters are um, striking as well continued um, continuing calls should I say um, to reopen Ballancolig uh, fire station it's been closed since late 2021 and they're just saying look like we're be- things are being closed down left right and centre and you wonder about that uh, that, def- that uh, emergency excess or that uh, excess in the budget that we'll have surely that could go towards improving our emergency services but uh, I'm going to come very quickly come back to that original story with Barry Roach about that uh, 93 year old attacked in Cork City Centre shortly Get it off your chest Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818 104 106 Red FM Kevin Galvin standing in for Neil Prenderville and I'm joined on the line by Southern Correspondent for the Irish Times Barry Roach Now Barry was just speaking about this earlier on um, a frightening story out of the Cork City St. Luke's area Yes, uh, Kevin, absolutely. Two men yesterday in jail for nine years for what a judge described as, quote, a scarcely comprehensible act of thuggery after they robbed a 93-year-old woman when she collected her pension and left, uh, left her with life-changing injuries, which has cost her her mobility and her independence. The two guys are a fellow called Damien Fitzgerald. He's 35 from Inniscarra Road in Fairhill and Damien Long's 32 from Ardvalia in Mayfield. And they both pleaded uh, guilty at Cork Circuit Criminal Court yesterday to the robbery of the pensioner at Claremont Terrace off Wellington Road on November the 9th last. And Judge Boyle recalled that the two men had only pleaded guilty after the jury was sworn in. Mm-hmm. So she sentenced them to 10 years in jail, but because of their pleas, she spared the, and it's, which had spared the pensioner having to give evidence, she suspended the final year, so they have nine years to serve effectively. Yeah, she said the accused could have spared her having to come to court by pleading guilty and that she was extraordinarily brave. I think she said in a, in a city full of extraordinarily brave um, people, um, the, the, the victim was, was yet another. Um, I suppose, look, the fact that they, th- th- this was dragged on for so long kind of made it even more shocking, isn't it? Well, it is. We heard from Detective Inspector Dennis Lynch, and he told her the woman after four o'clock on the day in question, she'd collected uh, her pension uh, at the St. Luke's Post Office, was walking along Wellington Road, uh, when two males with their hoods uh, began following her, and they followed her up at Charlemagne Terrace. We actually saw CCTV footage of it, and it was quite chilling because you could see them clearly shadowing her, stalking her. Uh, one of the guys comes running down from Charlemagne Terrace, and then seconds later, the second fellow does as well. What the Inspector, Inspector Lynch said happened off camera effectively, what we didn't see because the footage was from Wellington Road, was that um, a woman felt um, a tug on her handbag over her shoulder. She tried to hold on to it, but she turned around to see two, two men trying to mug her effectively. One man ran off when she didn't release the bag, but the other continued to pull on the strap. And she fell to the ground and she screamed out in pain as she ended up suffering major multiple fractures to her pelvis. We saw footage of a woman who passed her in Weldon Road a good distance away now. We must say she'd passed on. She heard her screams, went back to help her and a chap uh, saw the guys running. He tried to trip one of them but didn't. But he raised the alarm. Two Gardaí arrived and uh, paramedics. We heard then, I suppose... Um, that Gardaí set up an investigation team at Watercourse Road Detective Sergeant Kieran O'Sullivan Garda Patrick White they began an investigation they harvested a huge amount of CCTV footage including the stuff we saw yesterday in court and they identified Fitzgerald and Long as suspects they arrested both of them 
on November the 12th, three days afterwards. They interviewed Fitzgerald four times, but he exercised his right to silence, didn't say anything. And they also interviewed Long four times, and he denied that it was he on the television, on the CCTV, being in Wenton Road, and he also denied any knowledge of the robbery. Uh, as I say, um, Shea Roach, for the Defence Counsel for, for, for Fitzgerald, he said the um, crime was opportunistic, it wasn't... Uh, planned days in advance but uh, Detective Inspector Lynch agreed that was brief but he said they'd followed the woman for seven minutes as we saw on the thing and he said it's clear from the CCTV footage shown to the court that this was a premeditated planned crime in which a vulnerable elderly lady going about her daily routine was subjected to this violent robbery that totally changed her life the woman herself had come into court when it was they were contesting it. That was a month ago. So she came in on her row later. But she didn't come in yesterday and her victim acceptance was read out by her son. And she really sort of, a, it was a very powerful statement. He said on her behalf as well, she was in her 70s, 80s and 90s and she still felt fortunate to be well enough to be living, living a full and independent life. She enjoyed shopping, cooking for herself, driving to play bridge twice a week, going into town to get mass and browse the shops and especially attending social gatherings with family and friends. She made reference to the fact that so many elderly people uh, couldn't get back to normal after COVID. She cocooned as advised, but she was fortunate that she had been able to get back and her family were delighted this. She determined that with her determination, she'd regained her independence and resumed her pre-COVID hobbies and life as she knew it. And she even went, she said, away for the odd weekend with the quote-unquote the bridge girls. But then that all came to a terrible end. Then came that awful afternoon in November when I was attacked and robbed, not just of my handbag, but of my recently regained normal life. I never in my life experienced such fear. I could not comprehend how such a horrible act could happen to a 93-year-old woman. She spoke about how the muscle fracture she sustained as a result of being knocked and grabbed along the ground left her in excruciating pain and effectively a prisoner in her own home for many months. The ordeal effect of my confidence led to long restless nights and negatively impacted my overall health. I was put on massive doses of painkillers to help with pain management. And while these did help, I was still in great pain on a daily basis for a number of months. She had to rely on her family, she said, to move her from the bed to the bathroom to the chair. That was 24-hour care, and that impacted them. And while she um, she has improved in that she's moved from using a wheelchair now to the rollator, it still has had a huge impact. Uh, she said she was very grateful to the numerous health professionals who have been working with her over the last few months to help her regain some mobility, and also the Gardaí, uh, two guards came to on the occasion, to Mary Garrity and Enda Dwyer from the community liaison team and also to Patrick White, the detective who had kept her briefed on the uh, on the update and the investigation. And she said, for a long period I was very reluctant to come to attend this court case and the only reason I changed my mind was to ensure that all the hard work carried out by the Gardaí and the legal teams was not in vain. The two accused could have spared me coming to court had they pleaded guilty. Instead, they forced me to come to court last week, adding more pain to what they had already inflicted on me. And she said, my life as I knew it, has changed immeasurably as a, result, as a result of this terrible crime. And sadly, she said, I feel this innocence will stay with me for as long as I live. I mean, so, look, Barry, I mean, you think about, I mean, our own grandparents, the own elderly people in our own life. I mean, the thought of them being followed for seven minutes and then attacked yeah, is it's just a frightening one, isn't it? That was really chilling. Uh, to be the two accused, uh, Damien Fitz. Damien Fitz or Damien Long sorry uh, we heard uh, Damien Long read out a letter uh, from the witness box himself and he said I would like to apologise most sincerely I would like to express my sincere apologies I'm sorry so sorry for what happened I hold my hands high and my head down and for the rest of my life I deserve every year of it I ask God to look after you keep you safe I don't know how to repay you and he said I do deserve my punishment I'm so sorry for the pain you and your family have been put through and he prays to God for forgiveness 
okay. just your, your, your line is breaking up your brain is breaking up there Barry sorry but just just uh, you know it was saying I suppose you're saying there about the apologies of the accused I mean they, we also heard that they had sent a letter uh, expressing remorse um, you know the, the, the their difficult upbringings was brought up as well as their drug and alcohol addictions and I, look I don't want to I don't want to comment too much on it but how often is are these things used as defence um, in terms of difficult upbringings and drug and alcohol and, and really you know when it comes to a case like this where they, the, the accused had turned down the opportunity to, to plead their guilty uh, how much of that actually does have an impact in your experience in the court? Uh, it's difficult to say, but Detective Inspector Lynch uh, said he was shown the two letters. As I say, uh, Damien Fitzgerald also said he was sorry and expressed that he said it's a living hell that he'd put uh, the woman through. But uh, Detective Inspector Lynch said uh, remorse, he thought their expressions of remorse came too late to the fact that they had brought her to court. Uh, sorry, sorry, Barry. I'm, <laughs> the line is just uh, cutting away. I mean, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to have to leave you go. But, um, but look, Barry uh, Roach, Southern Correspondent for the Irish Times, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Hopefully we'll be able to catch up with you very soon and uh, get those lines uh, figured out. And Now, I'm going to go straight uh, to a very different uh, story altogether. Uh, we went straight from the city. Now we're going right across the world. Um, and I'm joined by the Australian Ambassador to Ireland, Gary Gray. Um, Gary, thanks very much for joining us here on the Neil Prendival Show. Kevin Galvin uh, sitting in. Um, why are you taking all of our nurses? G'day, Kev. Uh, Irish nurses are well-trained. They are enthusiastic. And you know what, Kev? They want to come to Australia and there's a great opportunity for them to travel and learn, grow, and then come back to Ireland and work in Ireland when they've had a terrific experience in Australia and supported the fantastic Australian healthcare system. Um, look, we're just looking at some of the, the stats here. Um, average salary in down in Oz is 56,000 euros. Um, average salary here is 45,000. Uh, rent down there is 2,869 euros, plays 3,309 euros here, so it's less expensive for rent. But what we've been hearing from people is that rent is cheap if you can find a house in Sydney. And also, uh, you see, that's a really important point. I, I would strongly encourage nurses, police officers, teachers to look at the Australian experience. But it's not true to say that it doesn't come with a range of difficulties. But also, Kev, a lot of these jobs, especially like the nursing jobs, actually come with accommodation. Mm. And so the deal is different. The experience is different. Our hospital system is different and Irish nurses, doctors, teachers, police officers have a great experience that they can enjoy coming to Australia to work. And can I, can I ask you, like, is, is that experience changing? Because look, uh, emigration to Australia from Ireland, whether forced or not, has certainly been a case for hundreds, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years across our history. Um, but I suppose there was always a certain uh, stigma attached to Irish people, that kind of feeling that Irish people were, were drunken louts and, uh, you know, taking over Bondi. I mean, I have heard stories of Irish people being, being treated different Aussies down under. Is, is that attitude changing of Irish people? I, I think it's true to say that Australians are actually Irish because Australia is built by Irish people. Our first Prime Ministers were all Irish. Our current Prime Minister has an Irish background. So you don't get away by saying Australia is a different country. Yeah, yeah, different continent, but actually populated people 
by Irish immigrants creating a great country. Now, what that also means is we all have to own up to the problems that alcohol creates across our communities. That's not just in Australia. It's not just Bondi. It's not just Sydney or Brisbane. It's everywhere. It's Ireland too. So we all have to be more responsible about alcohol. But do you think that that, that Irish people are kind of, there, there has been a, a sort of a, as I say, kind of a stigma or an, a thing attached to Irish people coming over to Australia? Is, is that changing now, do you find? Or is there still that sense that, look, Irish people stick together when they go over there, they don't really integrate into the Australian community and they spend Saturday nights, you know, on the Lash in Bondi? So Irish people do integrate, but the integrated Irish culture in Australia is an Australian Irish culture. So every one of our major cities has a GAA competition. Every one of our major cities has an Irish-Australia association. But, you know, we couldn't have built the modern country that we have built without massive Irish participation. We're proud of it and we want to encourage it. And we also say to mums and dads in Ireland, your children come back. They come back having worked and participated in a different structure and we end up getting a wonderful cross-global exchange of people, talent and ideas. Um, Just matters uh, down under, you're saying, look, nurses can earn an average of 55,000 euros like we we see nurses being overworked here. We see massive underpay. I mean, how can you afford to pay so much higher um, salaries when when you see cost of living down there are relatively the same as here? We have a national health care system, which is one of the best in the world, and we put an additional four billion into that health care system in our budget released on Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. We take health care seriously and the physical infrastructure that underpins it. That's not just hospitals, that's general practitioners' surgeries, it's frontline services, but it's also specialist services. Ireland's got a great system, and Ireland trains great nurses and great doctors, and we like to be able to offer people an Australian experience, but we also offer that experience to nurses, doctors, teachers out of the United Kingdom, out of Canada, out of America. It's how we build our country. It's one of the world's biggest, most successful multicultural countries. And is it only, I suppose, you're looking at the skilled workers coming in here? Are the days of just labourers or farmhands or those people going in off the back of college, is, is there still a place for them or are we only now looking at the really qualified ones? If you go online uh, to look for visas, you'll find the visa is now open for a range of workers. And so, you know, you might say, you know, is it farm workers? Are they skilled? Well, actually, we have Irish farm workers who take the crop off in Ireland and then they fly to Western Australia and they take the crop off in Western Australia. And then they fly to the Midwest in the United States to take the crop off there. You have an international, globally significant worker pool that works in several jurisdictions professionally doing their work. The world's changing and it's wonderful. Uh, Gary, um, I'm hoping you might be able to hold on to uh, with ourselves after the news, um, Australian Ambassador to Ireland, Gary Gray. Can you do that for me? 
I will. Ideal, perfect. Look, uh, Gary Gray, the Interna- Australian ambassador to Ireland, uh, we'll be back with you just after these. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. The Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Now, uh, catching back up, I was speaking to just before the uh, break with uh, Australian Ambassador to Ireland, Gary Gray. Gary, t- uh, glad you're back. Glad you're able to join us again. Um, we were speaking there just about, look, moving over to Ireland and you were or moving to Australia from Ireland. And you were saying, look, it does come with its cons. I mean, look, one of the things we were talking about is the shortage of housing. Just seeing a text here, it says, uh, my daughter has lived in Sydney for over 20 years and she has never seen so many queues around the blocks for apartment viewings. She thought Ireland had a housing crisis, but it's as bad as there. So the whole world has an issue with accommodation. It's in Europe, it's in France, it's in Germany, it's in Ireland. It's less significant in Australia than in Ireland and many of these jobs actually come with accommodation but it would be wrong of anyone to say look you know what ah come to Australia get a house get a job have a beer have fun you know you've got to work at it and you've got to be thoughtful and you've got to stay safe and don't expect everything to work smoothly Ireland's a great country and you've got a lot of experience of Ireland before you get to Australia, and Australia is different. Australia being different, of course, in a number of ways. I mean, we even talk about during the pandemic, people not being able to make it home, but then also not benefiting from the support provided to permanent residents. I mean, there is a big um, difference between those who have permanent residency in Australia and those who don't. Oh, yeah, there is. And so if you're travelling to Australia and you don't have the right visa or you don't have permanent residency, in any event, it's always a good idea to have travel insurance, and it's always thoughtful to travel in pairs or in a group so you stay safe and there's someone to keep an eye out on you. Um, and I suppose, look, just just on the Australian lifestyle, I mean, look, um, I was fortunate enough to play a bit of Aussie rules in my day years ago when my body could take it. I know the Irish international team have won uh, the International Cup on a few occasions playing under AFL. Um, but look, I, I suppose... You see a huge amount on Instagram and, you know, the, the kind of... You wake up every Monday morning and seeing what they <laughs> those in Australia had done before you. But, like, how much of it do people get surprised by? Look, it isn't necessarily... There is hard work involved in this. It's not just turn up and have a party. I mean, you do have to work your 35-hour weeks. You do have to work hard to, to earn the money. And it's not always necessarily easy to, to get a job straight out the door. That's right. And sometimes the jobs are in locations like Bulawila or Alice Springs. They're in locations like Nullumbor. They are remote centres. And if you're in a remote agricultural community, say you're working doing picking of mangoes outside of Catherine, it's always better to have a group of friends with you to have your insurance because, you know, if you're in Catherine, you're 400 kilometres south of Darwin that is 3,000 kilometres from Sydney. And so you really do need to be thinking about personal security, safety and insurance. 
Yeah, I mean, it's not exactly somewhere you could thumb to, uh, in fairness. And I think, uh, again, as Irish people living in such a small island, we often get caught out by just the absolute sheer vastness of places. Uh, Gary, if you don't mind, I just, I'd like to bring on uh, Kira Lachlan. She's a showbiz reporter with the Daily Mail in Australia. Um, she's also uh, used to write with the Irish Independent here, and she is one of those who's made the, the trip over. Um, Kira, thanks, ha- thanks for being with us. Hi, Kevin. No problem at all. Thanks for having me on. So, look, I suppose I was just speaking to Gary there about uh, Gary Gray, the, uh, the Australian ambassador to Ireland, just about, look, the difficulties in, in coming over. And, I, and look, I suppose, what's your experience been of, of, first of all, trying to move over to Australia? And now that you're settled, what's, what's life down under like? Well, the process of moving here was actually, you know, pretty easy. I'm on a working holiday visa, so they're pretty easy to get. Mine actually came through like instantly as soon as I applied for it. Um, I think that was about last July I applied for it. And then, you know, it was just kind of getting the wheels in motion then, getting some money together and getting myself kind of sorted before I came over. Um, So I came over the end of December and I'm currently in Sydney. um, And I came with a friend and finding a rental was was pretty hard. Like we had, luckily we were staying with friends um, in Randwick, one of um, Sydney's eastern suburbs. And that's kind of where we wanted to get something. Um, And in the end, it was actually only two weeks it took us to get something. But at the time, it felt like way longer and so much harder and so stressful because we were going to between us, like, say we're going to maybe like seven, you know, inspections a day um, and just hearing absolutely nothing back at these viewings. There was, you know, upwards of 100 people at all of them. Um, So it did seem really stressful at the time. Um, but yeah, we were really lucky we got something after. I think it was two weeks to two and a half weeks, um, but it wasn't ready for another two weeks. So we were sleeping on a couch um, for a month, but you know we got something in the end and we were delighted. Probably wasn't the, certainly probably didn't match up to the Instagram stories that you'd seen. We've seen Barbies on the beach and sleeping on a couch doesn't quite live up to it. Um, just, and I mean, I no, suppose I'm particularly interested in working in media myself. I mean, I always would, you know, I've loved travelling, been in a lot of places, but the idea of working abroad, even in an English-speaking country, how difficult was it to get a job in, in media um, being, being from outside the country? Um, I was really lucky with my job. I applied for it before I went over and I pretty much got it as soon as I got here. However, I did apply for, I think, maybe six or seven jobs. And like that was the only one that got back to me. A few of them got back actually straight away saying, sorry, you're on a working holiday visa. Like they don't, they don't want, a lot of companies don't want someone on a working holiday visa because mm. one, you can't be there for longer than a year or two. If they do want you to be there, then they're going to have to go through the sponsorship process. Um so yeah, like it, it, I was, I think I, I was very lucky. I got something um, quite quickly. But again, like the, the visa, obviously the working holiday visa is there because it's kind of for people that are going over and traveling around and you know maybe getting odd jobs here and there. So it is hard if you're wanting to kind of stick in a certain industry. Um, but yeah, I, I was pretty lucky. Like I have a lot of friends over here who are teachers and nurses, and they were told kind of there's so many jobs here. Come come over. And there are there are a lot of jobs, but the issue is the paperwork takes so much time. My friend that I came with, she's a teacher, and she was two and a half months before she could even get a subbing position. Um, so like it, it like there's a lot to it. 
Yeah, and I just want to bring back uh, Gary Gray, the Australian ambassador to Ireland, because look, Gary, really appreciate your time, uh, by the way, and it is great to speak to you. Um, just that, that's that, that's the kind of feeling I I had about Oz. I mean, for me, it's just that little bit too far away to move. But I always felt that look, I'm not a teacher, I'm not a nurse, I don't really feel like I've any sort of skills that the Australian government would necessarily want. So for me, trying to find a job it would be a lot more difficult than somebody who, let's say, is a fully qualified nurse heading down under. Yeah, I, it's, it's not for everyone. And, and the point that's made is it's not easy moving into a working holiday maker uh, visa environment and finding accommodation, finding jobs. It's a great experience. It's a growing experience. It's a resilience experience. But don't expect to go there and be spoon-fed. You are on your own. That's why we say to people, get insured. That's why we say to people, travel in groups. And that's why we say to people, this is an opportunity. You've got to make the opportunity work for you. Australian Ambassador to Ireland, Gary Gray, thank you so much. And look, just by the way, how are you finding the role um, being the Ambassador to Ireland? I imagine you're pretty hectic with the amount of people that are going back and forth between the two. I love it. Uh, You know, Ireland's a great, a great country and Irish people are welcoming and Pippa and I and our little dog, Ted, uh, we've really enjoyed it. We've been down to Cork 23 times. We'll be back in Cork in a few weeks' time. We'll be there again in August for the West Cork History Festival. We'll be there again in September with my mother-in-law. You know, we love Ireland. And we've been to all 32 counties on the island of Ireland. We'll really enjoying it. Yeah, few enough can say they've done that. Um, Gary, thanks so much to yourself. Hope you're yourself, Pippa and little Ted have a, have a good time down in West Cork over the next couple of months, but I very much appreciate you you joining us. Um, Kira, uh, just going back, uh, look, I suppose now that you're you're settled and you're sorted and, and everything's everything's good and good good to gold, how have, how have you found the experience of being down under? Has has um has homesickness been an issue? Um, homesickness hasn't really been an issue. Like I've been really enjoying myself. I, you know, everyone talks about the kind of lifestyle over here, and I couldn't even really envisage what that was until I was here. But I just feel a lot calmer over here. There's a, a much better work-life balance. Um, so yeah, I wasn't really homesick, but I suppose one of the biggest cons is obviously being so far away from home. And um, fortunately, there was actually a bereavement to my family this week, so it's really tough at the moment kind of not being there when you want to be there for your family members and stuff. So actually this week was kind of the first time it really hit me. I was like, oh God, I can't, you know, even if I was somewhere in Europe, I could hop on a plane home and be there for the funeral. But yeah, yeah, unfortunately I can't. So that's, that's obviously the, the biggest con. I know it's a it's a it's a huge um, consideration, and look, we're we're in the same boat in terms of, you know, uh, I like I did a lot of travelling around Asia, did India, and, and for a long time came back and then couldn't find a job and thought maybe I should just go back over there. Maybe that's what where I should go. And I luckily ended up here and very much landed on my feet, as you can probably hear. But you know, in terms of like that, that uh, it's such a big question when you go over there now that you're over there when you hear what's going on at home with you know a cost of living inflation difficulties and housing I know that this is new to you because you're not over there that long but do you do you think you've made the right choice yeah 100% like even though I was talking about kind of you know there is housing issues in Sydney and people are finding it hard to find somewhere but I mean even though you know it was tough getting it as in we were going to viewings every day it was still two weeks we got something. Like when I was living in Dublin, 
I, cu- I couldn't get any, I couldn't find anywhere. I was looking for a two-bed apartment with my friend for months and months. And, you know, there was just nothing available. There wasn't even, you know, price wasn't even actually the question. It was that we physically weren't getting viewings. Um, so, yeah, being over here, I definitely think I have made the right decision. and I'm absolutely loving it. Um, but, yeah, I suppose when we talk about home and, you know, the hardest part is being so far away from home, I try and tell myself I am only probably here for maybe two years, three years, you know, so just think of it as an extended holiday. Yeah, and then when you come back, I mean, staying in media, or do you have an idea? Has, has Australia opened your eyes up to any new potential possibilities back, in our, back at home? Yeah, no, I definitely want to stay in media. Like, I'm working in showbiz over here, which is kind of new for me. I would have done a bit of that at home, but um, it's interesting, and Australian media is, is really, really different, actually. So I think it's good to, you know, it's good to go to different countries and realise how places do things differently. So I think I'll come back with hopefully more knowledge, and, yeah, definitely want to stay in it. Brilliant. Uh, Kiro Lachlan, showbiz reporter with The Daily Mail, uh, now living a new life down under. Uh, thanks very much for joining us. Dermot, if you hold on line one, I'll be with you in just two ticks. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818 104 Red FM. Yeah, and you know, you, when you're singing along to a festival uh, ad, then you're probably going to contain a couple of bands that you like uh, all together now. It's coming up later on the year. Went to it last year. Absolutely superb. Would love to see something like that on Side. I know we have independence. Would love to see some bands like that arriving on our shores. Anyway, that's a conversation for another day. Dermot Vaughan, you're uh, with us uh, as well. Dermot, you've been on before. Um, you're uh, over in Oz at the moment, but you were uh, you were in the hotel business in Ireland. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, good morning, um, good evening from Melbourne, um, Kevin. Yeah, I was both moved over here last year and um, would have spent bones uh, of my career in um, hotels, um, predominantly actually in Cork. I worked in five hotels in Cork and um, last November, um, I suppose, followed the uh, Followed the trend and uh, packed my bags and uh, moved over, um, as I said, to Melbourne. So currently uh, living and working in uh, Melbourne, Australia. You didn't abide by the vice of the uh, Australian ambassador. He says travelling groups. You you went over by yourself. I mean, that must have been... Uh, although I know it's a sense of adventure over there, but when you kind of landed there, you must have kind of thought, God, I'm a bit lonely here. No, I say the exact opposite. You're honest, yeah. Um based in uh, Melbourne and living in a suburb called St Kilda and um, I suppose I'm from Bishopstown like and I'd say there's close to 20 maybe maybe more 25 uh, people um, from Bishopstown living in St Kilda um, and some of my closest friends are out here so they had made a move in 2019 so then it was never on my radar to um, but um, it just happened and um it's, it's absolutely brilliant. Um, I would recommend it to anyone. I'd recommend. I, I never had a kind of a travel bug, um, but I'd recommend it to anyone to, to try it. Um, it is a it is a long way from home. Um, I suppose we, it's a eleven hour difference. Um, I suppose uh, and then it changed to nine um, hour difference. So we're nine hours ahead. Um, maybe a few weeks ago when Ireland went uh, forward and we went back an hour. So. Um, it is that communication at home, you know, it's, it's certainly you can't pick up the phone at two or three o'clock in the day when you're at work if you have to ring home because it's the middle of the night at home. But I suppose the way communication is and um, WhatsApp and WhatsApp video calls, I probably talk, I definitely talk to my mum more now than um, I probably would have as a fast life at home. It's funny, and I, I found the same that um, 
when I went on my travels I ended up almost calling every second night to catch up and it was just a sense of well we don't have any news like there's nothing happening at home like essentially please stop calling us <laughs> I kind of got from home but you do don't you you just you don't want to feel like you're I mean as much as it's great to be over there you don't want to feel like you're missing out with what's going on at home I mean you want to know how the dog is you know has anybody gotten in any trouble you know like how's, how's work working out for everybody you do kind of want to feel that sense of connection don't, don't you yeah, it's hilarious like every time you ring home the first question is what time is it there yeah. and what's the weather like and uh, <laughs> even even that we're coming into a, a colder period in Melbourne now um, I, I'd be always um, putting the sunny side on to tell them that the weather's good because um, you kind of have this postcard picture of Australia that it's uh, sun and, uh, and blue water but I can assure you as I stand at the side of a GA pitch in, in Melbourne ready to go training tonight um, it's, it's not warm yeah, and it's wet. I mean, we're right in the middle. I mean, St Kilda, I imagine, is is in total AFL fever at the moment because this the season. Like, or sorry, it, it's kind of building up towards that because like we have the grand final in September, and I know AFL is in full swing. St Kilda is obviously a huge club um, in Melbourne, and Melbourne is a massive AFL city as it is. What was your first? Like you say, now you're going GA training. Was that kind of like were you always playing GA at home, or was it something you just decided to pick up from a social point of view? Yeah, I've been involved in this on my club all my life. Um, and I suppose that was, but I suppose coming out to Australia, there was two, two of my biggest challenges. Uh, I suppose my biggest, um, I suppose, uh, handicaps really were my mother. Even my mother at home, like uh, most Irish mammies. And uh, the second one was the GA because it was engraved into my, um, into my daily life and every minute I had. So I suppose that's a challenge. Like, and you no, know, you, you can't have everything, um, and there is risks and there is um, there is I suppose that risk of moving to the other side of the world but there's massive opportunities and hearing I suppose what the ambassador said um, about nurses and doctors but I suppose Ireland is an absolute great place and I've had um, unbelievable professional um, I suppose experience and uh, opportunities in, in, in hotels in Cork uh, Rochdown Park where I started working Trigon Hotel Group um, to name two and you know, like it, it is this opportunity, like, and it is the opportunity to learn new skills, work in the environment, multicultural, and um, diverse workforces, and um, the other side of the world, and and then come back. Um, I suppose you, you look at the, I suppose the, I suppose the diverse workforce, and I can only speak for hotels in Cork. Um, I, I worked with people from mainland Europe, South America, um, in Cork. So it, it's not it's not a one way street. Uh, we have people, um, I suppose, who are coming. Um, into Cork and I can only speak as I said for hotels like the hotels would not be able to operate uh, especially pre-COVID um, sorry post-COVID uh, without I suppose people um, coming um, into our workforce um, you have I suppose GNIB visa in, in Cork or in Ireland where you can it's a, it's a student visa um, work 20 hours study 20 hours and they can those people who avail that visa can work 39 hours then in um, in season, so in summer and that Christmas period. But hotels wouldn't be able to operate, and I'm sure the ambassador, as he said, and uh, any Australians or workforce in Australia, they wouldn't be able to operate. They wouldn't be able to 
Uh, I don't know how a brick would be able to go up in, in Melbourne um, or a floor uh, poured without the Irish workforce. Um, no, and, but, but and I suppose, look, like you're working now, uh, you're, like you're working in, you're as a director of sales and marketing for a core who are a well-recognised hotel brand. I mean, an internationally well-recognised hotel brand. It's not like you're gone over there working cleaning rooms. I mean, in fairness. So are they, like, when they look at your CV are they taking Irish companies seriously? Like when you have Irish good references from Irish companies, are Australians sitting up and taking note of that? Well, I can only speak in hospitality and I suppose the Irish hospitality standards and professionals who work in that, it's uh, most certainly um, globally recognised. Um, and I was very lucky to, I suppose, get a job with a company like Accor um, based here in Melbourne. Um, and I suppose that the interview process, it, it's definitely, it's definitely on, on the radar. Um, and when they see um, Irish hospitality experience um, or walking in the Irish hospitality, I suppose, industry, it carries massive weight. And that's a credit to all the work that we do at home. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, as I said, it's, I'm very adamant that it's, it's a short term. Like, Cork is our city and we all, like I don't know many people out here who... Um, who are here for forever, and I suppose the, um, the previous caller as well, uh, and the ambassador said that that is that visa complication, and I suppose it's the most certainly the Achilles heel for anyone who's out here. So you come, most people, let's say nineteen, maybe maybe even not all close to one hundred percent people come here, and something called a working holiday visa that gives you one year. Then you have three options: you you stay for a year, and um, which is that's what the visa is. You get sponsored. Um, so your employer sponsors you, so they have to be able to um, sponsor you. So they have to have a lot of a lot of paperwork and a lot yeah. of things have to add up. Um, or you fall in love with Nazi and uh, get married. Um, so those how, three. Um, how close are you to, to step three in that? <laughs> I won't be. I won't be giving any updates live on air. I can assure you. Um, but one thing. One thing I will say is that your master made a point in relation to how important the Irish workforce is. Um, to Australia running and that, that's obviously um, a bilateral agreement between Australia and Ireland that's gone back years but the one year working holiday visa is too short it, it doesn't give people time do you know, in that one year yeah. in that one year you have to do if you don't get sponsored you have to do 88 um, days regional work yeah. within that calendar within that 12 sticking months, out on a farm basically that. isn't it um, the, it, the blazing heat is what I've that, heard or- that, that is that has that has changed, okay. uh, Kevin. That has changed. So I believe it was called farm work. Now it's more called regional work. So you can work in regional Australia. So obviously, where they have a deficit in workforce, so you can work in hospitality, you can work in construction, you can work in okay. the farms. But most people do work on the farms because that's where they, I suppose, they require that large volume. But yeah. not not to dwell on it. Um, Australia is a great place, great lifestyle, great culture. Irish, um, they're everywhere, and um, you'd even be coming home the tram in the evening from work, and would you believe it, you'd hear Neil? Um, so, I, um, I, some, somehow I could, Dermot, being honest with you, somehow I actually could. Um, I, sometimes I, I, he rings I, I, in my ears when I'm heading I, to bed, so whatever about other people in yeah. Australia. <laughs> I, I'm a day behind, when I cycle into work in the morning, I'm listening to Neil from, um, from yesterday. Um, so um, even if I have it on in the office at work, some of the people yeah. will be looking at me like. But are they are are the Irish like? Because look, I mean, I have friends who have gone to Oz. I have friends who have gone to Dubai to teach. That's another very popular one for primary school teachers, particularly going over and teaching. Are we very insular, or are we liked by the Aussies? Do you do you, do you think that there's a that the Aussies like the Irish, or is there a sense that the Irish keep themselves to themselves and they only keep in their own groups? 
Um, it's a very good question, actually. Um, Irish certainly um, stick together, and I think that's um, that's for the good and the bad. Um, I suppose we are very far from home, so God forbid anything did happen at home. You have a very close um, close group of friends and close and a close knit community, but I suppose. I speak from it from someone who didn't travel here solo and I know a lot of people who travel here solo and have to find communities um, and find new groups of friends and so that's a massive challenge. You're, you're in Australia. Um, the Irish um, are liked by Australians, I would imagine so. Um, I suppose the large majority of the people I know in Australia and around the GA scene is um, a lot of the lads would work in construction um, and um, do very well in that and it's a very lucrative and very rewarding job now they work extremely hard uh, like like um, like the rest of us to be perfectly honest with you um, but yeah definitely respected um, the, they say that um, the, the Irish are building um, are building Australia um, but I'd also say that the Irish are running it as well Nice one, good way to end. David, oh, look, and just one final question. Like, Have you heard many stories of people where it hasn't worked out or, or where it's just been too much? And what do you think is the biggest kind of roadblock in the way of people either coming here or when they come here, the force them to come back? Um, as in Irish coming to us? Yeah, I suppose those who come to Australia. Like, How many of those have you found that it didn't work out or have you heard stories of those who went over and despite being sold this dream of you know the the golden sands, the surf, the the, the you know even the the GA abroad and the criminality of that has it not worked out for them? Yeah, it's um, I suppose you the master said it, and I know that when he said it, you have to be resilient. But I think you have to be resilient in everything you do. You go to a new job, you move to a new city, you um, move out of home for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be resilient, and I suppose yeah, there is stories, but I'd say a large majority, I suppose, anecdotal evidence on it, like but a large majority of the stories would be visa people don't. For people who want to go home, will go home. Um, but people who, I suppose, don't want to go home um, and they have to go home, it's down to visa complications. And, you know, we were, we were actually, um, we had a match on Sunday and obviously we're seven hours or nine hours, whatever it is, ahead. And we were in the dressing room after and I said to one of the lads in the dressing room, I said, God, you'd be homesick last night looking at the park in the sun and yeah. 37 or 38,000 people and this guy's a pure character from Cork City and he says yeah you'd be homesick all right, but I wouldn't be too homesick waking up in my mother's box room the next morning <laughs> so you know it's yeah. like you can't you can't have everything but um, you know the way the flights are at the moment they're very expensive they've na- they've nearly um, I think the lads were saying that they're nearly gone up to the, around three and a half grand to get home through I suppose UAE so they are expensive um, but God forbid anything did happen or you have to get home um, just flights every day just have to you have yeah, to make that commitment and we're here, we're not here for life, we're here for a short time and hopefully we can bring our skill sets home and realise that we saw a different side of the world and um, learn new things and um, we, we'll be back. I can't, I can only speak for myself and hopefully my mother's listening, I'll be back. Yeah, well, look, we'd love to speak to her if she is to talk about an experience of a mother whose son is certainly enjoying his yeah, time over she there. Has two, she, has, she has three boys, one of them's in Vancouver for the last 10 years. And, oh, that's crazy. And then I went and I said, the other fella is getting itchy feet. He's six years younger than me. So if he goes, I tell you, she could, she could be living in St. Kilda as well. She'd be putting him in a straight jacket, I'd say, stopping him from getting on and she'd be taking away his leap card. Um, look, <laughs> Dermot, uh, Dermot Vaughan, thanks so much uh, for, for speaking to us as one of the Irish who not only built Oz but ran it as well and runs it at the moment certainly flying in the face of what the uh, the then uh, tarnished lady of Radcar said that the grass is always greener abroad we'll be coming back home just after this
Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Well, you can talk to him in two weeks. Because Kevin Galvin in for Mick Mulcahy who's in for Neil Prenderville. Mick will be back tomorrow and indeed for the rest of Neil's time away where he enjoys a well-deserved break. Now, remiss of me not to get texts so far this morning. Going back to my conversation with Ken O'Flynn on the cost of living. Uh, so text here says, there should be no TD taking holidays unless something is done about the energy prices. Michael McGrath wants to put money into an investment fund. What a joke. Uh, somebody says, I think we need to forget capital projects for a while and help the Irish. I mean, the argument is that doing capital projects does help the Irish because ultimately it leads to more jobs and you know better standard of living. But uh, I, I take your point. Uh, I certainly think the, fe- the feeling of people who have to travel on the Cork to Limerick Road every single day and don't have that motorway would disagree with you. Uh, Vradkar and Martin don't care about the cost of living crisis. As I said, they're more worried about GA fans not being able to watch matches free to air. We'll touch on that uh, later on in the programme. I'll be speaking to Nat O'Connor from Age Action Ireland. Um, I contacted several politicians regarding firewood shortages this year. They responded to me quoting 2021 figures saying there was no problem. They don't care that fuel prices will be even higher next year. Um, so yeah, firewood, certainly um, uh, burning fuel, peat, uh, firewood, coal, all that kind of stuff. Um, definitely those in those sectors feeling under attack. Uh, by the way, we can control the electricity prices. If you have 400,000 people at Borgosh and 100,000 of those are in contract, if the other 300,000 move tomorrow, there will be no option but for them to drop their price. It will be in a 28-day cooling-off period with the new provider, so you can keep swapping providers every three to four weeks and force them to drop their prices. People power. And that's why I was speaking earlier when I was speaking to Ken about mortgage brokers. I think it's so important. Do the same with car insurance. Um, I know not all brokers are as good as others, but um, the idea is just, you've got to keep switching. I mean, you, it's the only way you're going you're gonna to save costs. Otherwise, you know, same with your phone bill, electricity, TV. I mean, TV and internet is a great one. They suck you in with the, with a deal, a free good looking deal for the first 12 months and then slap you with what is almost an 80 or 90 quid a month charge. I mean, you ring up the phone and say, no, I'm not paying it. Just forget it. Uh, well said by Ken, the country is run by idiots and people after their own pockets and staying in power. This is a two-person working household with no kids and can't afford to have them in this country. Barely keeping head above water with a huge mortgage and the cost of living here is a joke. Can't wait to sell up and move to the US or Australia in the next three to four years. Um, yeah, I, I totally understand. Look, we're, we're two people in our in our relationship working very good jobs one could say um, working what we would call professional jobs and still struggling to try and afford somewhere to live it's just it's just priced are absolutely crazy inflation is a hidden government tax that is caused by creating additional currency amazed how ignorant everyone is to the root cause and the answer to the government induced issue is more government intervention the cost of living crisis is given that name by the media to hide the real name this is a currency devaluation crisis it is deliberate and was completely predictable mortgage rates were up to 20% in the 80s and people managed on one salary to pay and raise a family. We are so poor now by comparison. People buying houses they can't afford. People taking out tracker mortgages then crying when the interest rates rise. What do you expect? Rates to stay at zero forever or at the cusp of another economic crisis 2007 plus 16. All predictable. Just stop listening to your so-called experts and you can see it. And one final one. Hi lads. I'm glad you're debating the cost of living on crisis this morning. Our government political representatives are nothing short of a disgrace. People have been saying it for the last two years. Citizens of this country are pinned to their collar. Everything is rising in price, but the government continues to give themselves huge pay increases. Energy companies, food companies, clothes
clothing manufacturers, etc., etc., should be dragged over the coals. They cry crocodile tears because they have to increase their products, but don't decrease the price when their product goes down in price. The government are too busy trying to score bonus points over the opposition that they've taken their own eye off the ball. This government are a disgrace and no longer care about you or I. Shame on them, including our own sitting TDs in Cork. An election is coming and it's about time we voted with our feet and get them out for Good. Uh, now, I'm joined on line three by Ken. Ken, you were on the show a couple of weeks ago speaking to Neil about your Bet365 account. Just give her, give us a reminder for those who didn't get to listen in. Uh, what exactly happened uh, regarding your Bet365 account? Uh, well, I tell you, um, Kevin, um, I, I'll give you the gist of the story, all right? It was actually a, a friend of mine was telling me a story about um, how he was betting on Bet365. Um, and he was he, he was doing well. He, he he actually put a bit of time and effort into studying a bit of farm and stuff and dog racing and stuff. Put a bit of time and effort into it. Started winning a few bob. And he was telling me the story about how over a space of a couple of weeks when he was winning bet three bet yeah sorry uh, bet three six five uh, would uh, start restricting his account, uh, start taking offers away from him, taking services away from him. Eventually, it gets to the point where. They allow him where it, it doesn't become feasible for him to bet. He's basically pushed off the site because he's winning a few bob, right? So I, I took an interest in this. So I said to him, I have a bet 365 account. So it became a bit of an experiment for me, to be honest, uh, Kevin, uh, because um, as I was saying to Seamus, your producer, when I was talking to him the last time, there was um, a family member of mine, a brother, who um, unfortunately passed away nine years ago, but for a lot of his life struggled with gambling addiction. Yeah. And um, thank God, the last five years of his life were very good because the family rallied around and, and we helped him and we got him to a good place. And, and the, the betting companies done nothing for him. All they ever done was take money off him. And, and that's what kind of angered me. And that's why I kind of wanted to do this as a kind of experiment myself to see from my own eyes how these betting companies operate. T- tell you me, know, I mean, um, look, I, and, and you, can, you can feel free to get into as much or as little detail as you want, but, but your brother, yeah. I mean, how much was he losing in gambling on a weekly basis, would you say? Oh, he 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 could lose what he had, um, Kevin. He 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 had a stage where he he was working in a good job, and um, he get paid by month. And there could be an occasion he could lose his wages the day he got paid. My God, you know he could lose his wages. And as I said, it was a good job. I wouldn't know the exact figures he was earning, but it was a good job. Mm. You know, and 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 that was him struggling for the rest uh, was of the month. Dogs, you know? Was it horses? Was it was it sports? He, he, was it bingo? Ma- ma- mainly horses. Mainly okay. horses. Mainly horses. He would have been betting on. You know. Mm. Sorry, sorry, Ken. I just suppose, like, what was it that you know? Did he have a particular interest in it, or what was it that? Because look, I don't know the I don't know the hind leg to off to the front end of a horse. I mean, well, I know an awful lot about football, but don't ask me about horses. Yeah. Well, it's, it's it's an addiction, um, Kevin, like any other addiction, and it's a massive addiction problem in this country. And some people can gamble and enjoy it and do a bit here and there, and some people get dragged into it, and some people just get dragged dragged, dragged into it to a point where they don't have any control. And, and and I suppose this this is one of the reasons I, I'm passionate about it and one of the reasons I'm angry about what I've seen happening in front of my own eyes to me over the last few weeks was because there was nobody from any betting company uh, ever showed any concern towards my brother or showed concern to anyone who's losing lots of money on their, on their sites. Whereas when you start winning a few, Bob, all of a sudden they show concern. 
If you get me, like uh, they did. Yeah, because we hear, look, we hear, and even look, I was watching, I think it was Nottingham Forest in Southampton the other night on the telly, and the first ad that came on, Ray Winston, Bet365, I think it was whatever, 24 to 1 Nottingham Forest. They kind of lure you in with that really good price if you set up an account with them. And then at the end, a kind of cursory gamble responsibly. But uh, surely there should be some sort of uh, onus on companies to say, you know, when they say when the fun stops, stop, then surely when you're losing that amount of money, company, the companies are seeing that that must be flagging up on their system exactly Kevin that's the, that's the point I'm exactly on here to make like they have their slogan you hit it there though, when the fun stops stop right like there's no fun in losing money mm. right there is fun if you're winning right so they should actually change their slogan because I was winning a few Bob I'll, I'll give you the story of my eight weeks experience with them and um, I was winning money so I was having fun their slogan should actually be when the fun starts we'll stop you yeah you know, that should actually be their slogan because, as I said, the friend I, I know, he, he, he was, um, he was as I said, he, he took time out. He, he actually studied. Uh, he, he became good at it, right? Mm. And this is what they don't want. They don't want people. They want people who are just going to bait and bait and bait who don't even study. You know what I mean? Who people, so they, 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 he, they monitor you. So I put a few bob into my account and I started betting what my friend would suggest. We'd, we'd have a dog or whatever. And... Over a couple of weeks, over the first two weeks, won a few bob, and all of a sudden, my bits were starting to be monitored by the company okay. within two weeks. Two weeks. And so how, I, much, I, I how, how much are we talking here in terms of. You, you terms might, of have, might have 100 euros on a dog, mm. right? You might have 100 euros on a dog, based on, as I said, a bit of research, a bit of study, because there is, there is info out there if you, are, if you get into a particular sport. There is info out there. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And you can look at things, you can find a value base. You know, which in my mind would be responsible gambling if you're... Like, it wasn't gambling on everything and anything. It was focusing in on something, finding something a bit niche and, and having a bet. They're offering a service. They're offering, offering a price. You bet on the price, you win. So right? did they give you, when they suspended your account, did they give you... Was it was it due to what they would call irregular no, they, betting they, or un, unusual activity? They, 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 didn't actually, they didn't actually suspend my account because they can't actually suspend you and throw you off the site because that would be illegal. Okay. What they do is they start off with, they start monitoring your bet. And then they get to a point you want to have... Uh, they take services away from you. I sent in the copy of the email to Red FM a couple of weeks ago where they took away the cash out available to me. They take services away from you, mm. right? That's the next phase of it. Then if you win a few more, it gets to the point where on Monday it finally happened. After nine weeks, I went in to have a bet and if I want to have 100 euros on a dog, it comes back, I can have one euro 33 cents on that dog. Yeah, I'm, That's just, all I'm, just looking, I'm looking at it here. This is a, a race at Yall, uh, just gone seven o'clock. Uh, yeah. Money down on a dog in a skin, Mandy, I think it's called. And you yeah. had a win and an each way. So essentially, you might explain that to people who, who don't know the, 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 the story behind each way betting. Well, they're, they're, you, can, you can bet in two ways. You can bet uh, on, a, on a horse or a dog to win a race, or you can bet them each way. Each way just basically means um, you have the place as well. If there's three places, two places, four places in the race. Now, what it is, is if, you, if you've done a 50 or each way bet, it's double the bet. It's 100 euros. So you're putting 50 on the win and 50 on the place. 
Now, if he wins, you get both. Bits. If he's placed, you get the place part, if you know what I mean. Mm, mm. You know? <coughs> yeah, no, I, I, I understand. So basically, you're kind of covering all, all bases. If it doesn't yeah, if you get yeah. the win, you, 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 yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. And yeah. look, I suppose we're, we're seeing, and I'm going to bring in Jamie Mackey here, who's an addiction counsellor at Um yeah. Like, I just went through the Bet365, um, just the terms and conditions about how and why they could put restrictions on your account. So one of them is abusing free bets and promotions matched betting is another one that is where the punters place multiple bets across betting sites simultaneously to create an overall position it's kind of like skewing the market basically putting in bets that yeah. you create better odds for yourself um, yeah. and then the other one is is unusual activity I mean I don't know how much you were winning in, in your, on your account up to that point well, but when you started I, I, the bet expert you, I, uh, p- opinion I presume your winnings kind of started to multiply substantially yeah well, there was there was uh, there was uh, over about a ten week period, and um, my account went up to about seven thousand, right? Mm. So, like, basically, but the, the point I'm trying to get across here, Kevin, I suppose, really is like that. I, I, I but like, I won seven thousand over a ten week period, right? Mm. A, a person like my brother would have happened that can lose seven thousand in a single day on a betting company, and nobody cares about them. The betting company don't contact them. The next day, they go in to have a best. They can have what they like on the best. You know what I mean? The betting company won't contact them and say, uh, sorry, uh, we're, we're monitoring your account there. We notice you're losing heavily. We're going to restrict your betting. They do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. They, they, basically they monitor all bets online, right? And they monitor them for two reasons, Kevin, right? One is they monitor to see if somebody is winning regularly, how do we get them off our site? And two, if somebody is losing regularly, how do we make sure they never leave our site? That's the way these companies operate. And that's, the crops avoid there is a gambling addiction problem mm-hmm. because they don't want responsible gambling. They advertise they want responsible gambling. They don't. They want irresponsible gambling. They don't want it to stop when the fun stops. They want you to get worse when the when the fun stops. Uh, and that's Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, J- Jamie Mackey is an addiction counsellor with Coonver. I, I don't know how much of our conversation you've been hearing, Jamie, but essentially Ken says when the fun stops, we'll stop you. When, when the fun uh, starts, we'll stop you. When the that's fun starts, we'll stop you. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Well, Jose, yeah, we have to remember, Jose, you know, it's, it's a gambling industry. It's there to make a profit. Um, gambling websites, like online gambling, Jose, there is, Jose, you, you, you can't set your own limits. Um, they will send you pop-up messages, but Jose, for the pathological gambler, um, it's a fairly, very little use, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Jose, it's a... Uh, the... Um, the pop-up messages, you, you, you can set limits yourself or how the limits can be set on you. But yeah. then how there's so many ways around that. But, and, 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 you know? Yeah, and Jamie, like, just speaking to Ken and Ken talking about his own brother, like, basically, he was losing thousands almost a day. And despite the fact that we were, we hear that message of gamble responsibly and we were supposed to hear of all the, you know, the things that are, that are in, essentially the own, the betting company still put it back on you. They still say, well, it's up to you to do that. I mean, we don't see betting companies stepping in then and saying, you've lost this amount of money. We think this is a detrimental amount. Here's a 30 day break. Don't come back to us in another 30 days it's a, it's all on it's 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 like giving a you know, it's like giving an alcoholic a bottle of vodka and saying don't don't drink that don't please it. yeah yeah well i'll just give you some stats here how say um like with here in kumwira um how say roughly about 10 percent uh of our admissions i would say would, would be now for gambling addiction now if you say the stats that i found was um shows 
2016, uh, 1% of admissions. Mm. And this is with, um, we say, comorbid addictions. Now, so we've been including uh, alcohol, drug addiction and gambling. To use a gambling term, the trifecta. And that has now risen to 21%. To, that was 21% in 2020. So there is a serious increase, how would you say, in, in, in the issue around gambling addiction. Now, the most susceptible to it portion of our population would be um, a single young man, um, age, we say, 35 years or younger. Well, you know, and, so, and look, I look at speaking of like I've, I had to look into it myself because that's look I'm a sports journalist in a previous life, and they cannot be removed. I mean, I feel slightly hypocritical. I hosted a sports show that was sponsored by a gambling company before, so you know, I'm I've, I'm a hypocrite to be bringing this up because our own company you know has benefited from it, and of course we have. I look, we have, there's other competitions out there, and people would would liken the same, and that's a, that's a fair argument. But like, if you look across the top five European leagues, for example, and you look at the this uh, audience, right? Young men, single under 35. Um, you know, you're talking about a cohort of soccer, you know, big football kind of sports is a big thing, especially for male at that age because they're still playing as well. Um, so they're even more involved in it. Um, top five European leagues across football or, or soccer, whatever you want to call it. Um, 11.2% of the companies on the front of the shirts of football companies or uh, football tubs are gambling companies and 102 are trading companies. So you're Forex, this, this type of stuff. I mean, eight of the 20 teams in the Premier League are, are gambling companies. I mean, you're, you're talking about generations of, of football fans. You know, I mean, you, you buy your young, your young fella a shirt. You want him to grow up supporting your, your Arsenals or your, no, I know Arsenal aren't sponsored by your Bournemouths or your, or your whatever, your Leeds who are sponsored, I think, by a betting company. Um, and you're giving your four year old, five year old a shirt that has a betting company logo on the front of it. Can I just come in on that, Kevin? Sorry, can I just come in on that? Yeah, okay, what you were saying there, it, like if you think about it, right? It, it, the gambling companies at the moment, right? It, it, it's it's very similar to the tobacco companies in the seventies and eighties. You know, yeah. tobacco advertisement was everywhere. The tobacco companies were pulling the wool over everyone's eyes. It's not our fault. It's not our responsibility. And we've got to a point in life now where tobacco companies can't advertise anywhere. They're packaging all that. You know what I mean? And, yeah. but, but the, 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 you know what I'm saying and, and, but nobody is looking at the gambling companies in the same way well, no, absolutely. I mean, they, look, they have announced a, a ban on on sports shirts, but it's it's a it's a very relevant point, Jamie, isn't it? I mean, even in Formula One, you would have seen the likes of Marlboro on the back of old Ferrari cars or McLaren, and that was all the big thing. Uh, Benson Hedges and all these kind of old cigarette companies, all that's gone. And and yet, and we see alcohol a sponsorship banned, a new movement in Ireland to ban alcohol, and yet we're hearing the rise of gambling, and yet gambling companies seem to have kind of carte blanche to sponsor where wherever and however they like. And that's the fact. And how say say gambling 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 industry was one of the first industries to actually use behavioural tracking. Yeah. Of, yeah, of yeah. populations. And how say what they do then is how say they and they will incentivize how say people how say on their gambling websites by how say giving them say free bets. Uh you will have a loyalty card. In some countries there's a loyalty card so every time you place the bet you hand in your loyalty card to collect points. It, it's all incentivizing the person, as that gentleman said, to stay on the site, to yeah. remain on the site. But well, it, the same yeah. behavioral tracking they're using to how to identify these people and keep these people on their website, they can use the same, we say, technology to actually look and search for pathological gamblers. Mm. 
Jamie, look, I'm just going to... not to. Yeah, so I'm going to um, I'm just going to cut you slightly short there. Uh, can both of you guys come back to me after 11? Because this is, a, is a, absolutely something I want, I want to dig into further. We, 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 we can indeed, Kevin, because I, I just want yeah. to discuss how the, the betting companies have the ability to stop someone gambling when they're winning but they don't use that ability to stop someone who when might lose their house do you know yeah. what I mean yeah. no you know? absolutely absolutely you know? look we'll come back uh, to you yeah, guys we just can do, after I can do. Yeah. thanks yeah. thanks Ken yeah. thanks Jamie hey it's Dave join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home big hits loads of fun features and traffic info what more could you need join me weekdays from 4 Dave Max Drive now the Neil Prenderville Show Red FM now coming back to earlier topics we were talking about uh, earlier this uh, today on this show uh, Eurovision we were speaking about it earlier the Wild Youth unfortunately not qualifying for the semi-final another disappointing one for them uh, Tex says the Eurovision shows that maybe we're not as loved by everyone as we like to think we are says Pat another said are you surprised with a range of emojis uh, another one says a Eurovision song to promote the interests of group thinking at taxpayers expense, uh, expense. this media obsession with group thinking is costing Ireland maybe it's time we went back to the Castle Bar song, con- song contest to pick our song for Europe it's worked previous times yeah I wouldn't be too sure about the draw uh, though I think that might be rigged uh, in that one uh, but yeah uh, certainly oh, we were speaking earlier even though about the Euro star and should we bring that back and should it be taken away from the Late Late Show I'd love to hear your thoughts 0868 uh, 104 106 in Eurovision the people from the US and Canada can vote as well using the official app so many more Irish diaspora there I should have said that to the Australian ambassador should have said look remember to give us a good old shout now for Eurovision next year uh, it says don't enter the Eurovision we would be better off the state of him in a jumpsuit cringe says John I, I, I think the jumpsuit did make him look like it looked like a young Daniel O'Donnell trying to be an Elvis impersonator I'm not going to lie it did look a bit like that there was a bit of camel toe going on there so I'm not going to lie it wasn't, wasn't the greatest look of all time and the black shoes as I said but um, look the song was great and I really think they deserve to get through I mean I suppose it depends on what you like. I mean, people probably voted again for Croatia because they wanted to see it again. It's entertaining enough. I don't know if Wild Youth are really wild enough to try and leave an impression. Send another stuffed animal. The judging needs to be transparent. That was defo in the top ten. A crazy waste of money. Professionals should select finalists, not people. And it says a final one says RT has no problem squandering money because they know people will go to prison if they don't subside them by playing a license fee. That's forced upon them. There you go. I didn't expect to be uh, talking about prison in the context of Eurovision. But going back to uh, topics earlier on on the programme, I was joined by Ken and by Jamie Mackey, who joined me once again. Jamie is a, an addiction counsellor for Kuhn Vuera. Now, we were speaking earlier about um, the addiction. Just, I just want to read you guys both text. And Ken, I just want you to come in on that because it's very, very yeah. similar to what you were talking about with your brother. Yeah. Morning, I signed up for an online betting account with a UK-based bookies, went through the usual sign up and attached it to my Revolut card. I was able to load money to my account with no issue and bet away responsibly. I won a few bob, not much it was around three to 400 quid. I tried to withdraw a portion of it and I was then informed that I had to contact them as they needed additional information. I was told to ring again I put it off as busy at the time and then in turn lost it all. Again, not much but it's the fact that I can lodge money but can't withdraw. I've now closed my account as that was only for the Grand National. It's the same thing Ken, isn't it? It's basically if you're winning, they, they, they will put every obstacle up in front of you but if you're losing they won't say anything to you. That, that, that's, the, that's the point I'm trying to get across, Kevin. What my experiment showed me over, like, I, I, I was winning for eight weeks and um, the gambling companies had the capability to stop me gambling, right? So they have the facility in place, they have the monitoring system in place, they have the capability to stop anyone gambling. They use it against people who are winning, 
they don't use it for people who are losing. So as I said to you, the famous story, or I said to Neil the last time I was on, of Tony O'Reilly. Jamie probably would know Tony O'Reilly. Tony Tenney wrote the book. 1.4 million, I think, that man deposited into a Paddy Power account over a number of years, and nobody questioned it. A man living in a three-bedroom house working in a post office. Yeah, and nobody and, questioned it. Uh, I, win, I win 7,000 over eight weeks, and they're on my case. And they're getting rid of me. Yeah, you we get me? we we, were spoke, get me? we spoke to Tolly. Yeah, I mean, one point five seven million euros he stole in in, in twenty twelve. Uh, he put it. He, he, put he, 40, he ended up spending two years in prison. Yeah, that man. And, and forty grand in a game involving the Norwegian women's soccer team. I mean, Jamie, yeah. like, are these the kind yep. of are these the kind of figures you're talking about? I mean, maybe not to this extent, but just the 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 the, the amount. I mean, just the absolute explosion of gambling addiction, and also, I suppose intertwined as we were talking about earlier the triumvirate of, of drink drugs and, and gambling well we actually had um, we had here in Coomera we had um, a conference here uh, a couple of weeks ago and we had an interesting gentleman um, his name is Michael Burke Michael was a successful lawyer in um, in Howell United States and um, he wrote a book it's called It's Never Enough um, and he basically embezzled 1.6 million dollars from his clients, wow. uh, and basically he ended up, I would say, being, I suppose, disbarred. He spent uh, some time in prison, um, but he turned his life around, you know, through, I would say, through, I would say, therapy. Um, like, the, the, what we actually deliver here in Coomera is a 12-week program, and we're funded by the Gambling Awareness Trust. Now, the first two weeks will be um, detox, more or less, I would say. Now, that can be extended or... Uh, depending on the individual's needs. And then I would say we do a 10-week program where we um, deliver group therapy, um, individual counselling, uh, meditation, relaxation, relaxation techniques and therapies, and videos and lectures on all aspects of addiction and the recovery. Now, I would say we also have um, gambling meetings here, GA. We have AA and we have NA meetings. So it, it gives the... What we're trying to actually put across to the actual individual is that how to a gaming-free life is possible. Mm-hmm. It is possible for them, and I think the reason that well, if we look at how say the the people pathological gamblers, yeah, within the gambling population, it, 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 it's a very small percentage, and I think, but it's the knock-on effect. Like that gentleman that was just talking there, like you know, he's been affected by somebody's gambling. Okay, and like so, we're talking about families, immediate families, extended families work colleagues, friends are all affected by this person's addiction. Mm. And here in Coomber, again, I would say we do offer, I would say, again, family care and support, um, you know, aftercare support for fam- for families. Mm. And we provide information and support for families around their their loved one's addiction. Um, we have family conferences here where a family can come in and the individual who's in addiction, they can actually say, well, your addiction has affected me personally in this way. Which is which has a great effect, like you know, for that person. Because often in addiction, I would say we're laser focused on our addiction. We we don't think about the ancillaries, like you know, who it's affecting, the chaos and the carnage we leave behind us. Yeah, because it's ultimately it's that that trust, isn't it? Like I mean, when you when you're living in a house and you you begin to get into a space where you don't trust the people around you or they don't trust you because they're so worried about your addiction, then it it, it kind of it makes it almost more difficult even to kind of reach out and offer that support when in the back of the mind there's that sense of, like, I don't know, where is all this money coming from? I mean, exactly it. And how to, 
the thing about, how say, process addiction or behaviour addiction like gambling, there's no outward signs. Mm. So if you have an alcohol addiction, there will be a, there will be outward signs, there will be physical yeah. signs. If you have a drug addiction, the same. But it's often how to say, like, you know, it, it doesn't, the family don't actually realise their loved one is in addiction until how to say, you know, it's, oh, you know, it's, it's too far down the road. You know, yeah, yeah. the damage has really been done. Yeah. Ken, how did you deal with it with your, with your, with your brother? How did you kind of move, he, get moving Jamie, on that Jamie, Jamie hit the nail in the head there, you know, and uh, like I didn't know that my, bro- my, my brother's, because um, I'm the youngest in the family, and I didn't know that he, his addiction was as serious as it was until many years into it. Okay. Some other family members did know Jamie spot on there. There's no tells. There's absolutely no tells. And, and how I actually found out was that my brother borrowed money off me one time. And I actually mentioned it to a family member, and um, I knew by her face, they said, what's wrong? She said, oh, you won't get that back. Do you know? And that's how I found out, and that's when I kind of got involved, and, and uh, I'm kind of proud to say I had a lot to do with helping my brother and getting him the help he needed. And as I said, unfortunately, my brother passed away suddenly at 50 years of age. He, di- he died of a sudden adult death, he, he, he heart attack. And but, but for the last five years of his life, we, we, we as a family helped him with his gambling and he had a, I, I can safely say he had a great last five years of his life and my relationship with my brother was brilliant for the last five years of his life and I'm so happy about that. Mm. But it, it took was, us was as a changed? family, the, was, the, was the gambling companies yeah. uh, done nothing. Mm. As I said, the, 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 the facilities the gambling companies used against me in my experiment because I was winning money, they didn't use to help my brother when he was losing everything. But how how did he you know I mean? how did he change himself? Like I mean, in terms of you said, you know, when he kind of came out of that in the last five years, just like did you when you when you found out? And I can only imagine the shock. He, when you he, gave, he, did you did became, you start he, to pick up then on signs of irritableness? Was he more? You know, did his behaviour change or was his form different while he was struggling with it? It was it was one hundred percent, Kevin. Like he he became. So much more family oriented as, as a brother. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He became like, as I said, like uh, he he was thirteen years older than me. I'm the youngest in the family, and I I helped him at the start, and it was tough. Um, Kevin, it was tough. There was some harsh phone calls. He was uh, after losing money. He had no money, and he was ringing and and and, and as as he do, giving the poor out that he was this. He was I'm hungry, and I was. I was um, I, I had to stand firm, to be honest, Kevin. And I told them, "We'll send you food. We'll send you whatever." Because the old, the old rule, people would send them money, and the worst thing you can do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So after a couple of weeks of some harsh phone calls, he slowly came round and he got treatment for himself. And it went to the point for, as I said, for the last five years of my brother's life, he used to ring me every Friday. We had a great relationship, a relationship we never had before that. You know, and I think in his mind, I, I take comfort in knowing, I think he took a lot of respect out of what I'd done for him because yeah, he was in the absolutely. grips of an addiction and he needed to be dragged out of it because that's what it is. You get into the grips of it. And that's what I, that's the point I'm on here today is to say that the gambling companies have no problem leaving someone get into the grip of addiction. They won't, they won't contact them. They won't show any concern about someone that's losing hand over fist. But somebody that wins a few bobs, they will be on to them straight away. They will find a way to get them off their side. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They open their doors wide open, roll out the red carpet for a gambling addict. But if somebody happens to, like your last text or whatever said, won a couple of hundred euros, they'll find any way possible to get that person off the side. So they have the capability to, to they, they have the capability in their hands to reduce person's betting, to allow them only bet a certain amount. They won't use that on the people that are losing thousands. They'll use that on the people that are winning. 
Yeah, and just before I let you go, uh, Ken, and thank you so much for your honesty here as well. We did no uh, contact uh, Bet365 about this uh, for you. It was actually Seamus uh, inside here doing all the work yeah, in the background. Yeah, he, yeah, he, um, he said that, yeah. yeah and as a, as, a, as a current and uh, recent producer, I can tell you uh, the amount of work that goes on in the background here uh, goes totally uh, unrespected. I'm actually trying to see yeah. if I can find it there now for you. Bet365 basically said to us, look, it's got nothing to do with us um, and we don't have any comment uh, to make on it. We gave them specific uh, questions on uh, what it was that we wanted them to answer and we just got no reply, which is just like when you when you come, that's... Uh, they they so, don't so, care, Kevin. They don't care. They, all, they, all they care about is profit. And, and the government, I know I know you were on about um, the government this morning with the gas now. The government don't care either. They, don't, they, they completely look the other way because of the money they're getting out of tax out of gambling. You know, the, the gambling companies are a law unto themselves. They're allowed to police their own business in, ever, in whatever way or manner they want that re- with regards to their profit. They, they don't care if you lose your house. They don't care if you lose your family. They don't care. But if you win a few bob off them, then they care. Yeah, I just, just, just to finally, I, I just want to, yeah, sorry, sure. Jamie, I just want to, I just want to read this just so, and I'll leave you comments okay, straight sure. away then. Yeah. It just says, uh, we've been contacted by a number of Bet365 customers who question their fair gambling policy. They allege that one count has been limited to placing bets no bigger than one euro, which is in your case, Ken, yeah. that's what happened. Yeah. This has come into play after 10 weeks of the account being created after what the customers claims are substantial wins and no losses. They claim to possess other customer examples where individuals bet over a prolonged period who lost large amounts of money. In the interest of balance, could you please provide a company representative to speak on air tomorrow to explain your fair gambling policy, just themselves and the presenter. And they just said, thank you for taking the time to contact us, Seamus. The proposal outlined in your email is not something that we would be looking to pursue at this time. Of course they wouldn't. (laughs) Jamie, sorry, you wanted to come in there? Yeah, just um, we'll say for anybody out there, Jose, like, you know, if, if you feel that you have a problem, then Jose, contact us here in Coomvera. But also, there is an app, yeah, it's called Mentor, M-E-N-T-O-R. It's a personalized gaming app, gambling app, that can actually, Jose, you can track your own. Because, Jose, the, as I said, Jose, the, the gambling companies will, Jose, behavior will track you, all right, they'll track, they'll track your spending. But Jose, this is something that Jose, it's, it's, it's personalized. You can personalize this to yourself. Mm. And you can actually identify then, Jose, the times, the times that I'm gambling, the times that I'm gambling excessively. Okay, so then you can refer back then, well, what's happened that week? Why did I gamble so much that week? Yeah, and uh, just a reminder as well, the, the National Helpline Gambling Care.ie, you can go there yeah. for that. Uh, the National yeah. Helpline is 1800 936 725. Um, and, and, and sorry, Kevin, can I, I just make one more point on, on, on the situation, just to give people out there who mightn't be into the gambling of of the way these people operate, right? Yeah. Because very quick, we hear stories. Very quick, very quick, sorry, sorry, <laughs> we, we, we hear stories all the time about, unfortunately, heroin addicts, right? And some recovering heroin addict has a heroin dealer post heroin in his in his door, right? It's a disgrace. It's a horrible thing, right? But I know of betting companies, right, where people who are, are known for losing, they're managing them and they lose a lot. If their account goes inactive for a couple of days, the betting companies will inundate them with free bets and offers. It's the exact same bloody thing. Yeah. Oh sure, it's you know, just it's it's it's, it's, it's marketing. Thing. I mean, it's 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 marketing. Yeah. It's to try well, it's marketing, but but it's trying to draw it's trying to draw a fella back in. Yeah, Do you know. Yeah, no, no. Ken, look, yeah. thank, thanks and for also, leave you on that. Thanks, thanks Ken, so, so, so much. Thanks so much for joining us, and, and Jamie Mackey as well. And look, uh, okay. thanks, Jamie, Jamie, if they yeah. want to get if they want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Uh, well, our number. Well, I'm actually based in Brewery. We have, we have four sites. 
one in Uri, one in Asai, one in Athenry and Galway, and then how so you Brewery Coomera in Brewery, which is uh, County Limerick. Um, you can go onto the website, or how say the number here in Limerick is zero six three nine zero five five five. Okay, excellent. Um, can I just say something? Like, remember, anybody that is gambling, yeah, the house will always win. Yeah. No, and there's and there's absolute, and I would say that to anybody, even in the sports book, it doesn't matter how much you think you know about whatever game is going on. The likelihood is that the bookies already know, and the prices have already been changed. Um, Gamblingcare.ie, the national helpline eighteen hundred nine three six seven two five, Coonvera.ie, and of course the Mentor app. Uh, Jamie Mackey, addiction counsellor, Coonvera. Thanks, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. So look, um, if a couple of final texts um, saying well done Red FM for raising awareness about this massive gambling uh, problem of gambling. Great conversa- conversation. Another one says a friend of mine was winning 90% of the time on combination bets. So they limited his account to a maximum bet of one euro per bet. That's exactly the same that we spoke to Ken there about the, the account being restricted, not suspended, but restricted. If he was losing 90% of the time, they wouldn't put this gap on. And just look, as I say, to, to top it off, to finish it off, I mean, being a big sports fan and a, and a broadcaster in sports, you can't deny the fact that the the absolute proliferation of, of sporting bets. You've seen betting scandals in the League of Ireland. Uh, we've seen betting scandals in cricket with the amount of markets that are able to be offered. So um, certainly a, a, a massive issue. But look, do please, if you are listening to this and you do find yourself struggling with addiction and you find yourself spiraling out of control, please um, seek help because as, as uh, Jamie says, the house will always win. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106 Red FM. You're listening to the Neil Prenderville Show. Kevin Galvin sitting in on behalf of Mick Mulcahy who's covering Neil at the moment away on a break. Mick will be back tomorrow. Uh, but I'm joined in studio if I can get the right mic first of all uh, by Rory O'Hagan our sportsman. Now we were speaking earlier about this topic. Um, Glenn Meyer. Um, it, it is an absolutely massive shame news announced today that a 12 million centre of excellence that I remember sitting in the same room as you when we first heard about mm-hmm. this is now not going ahead exciting. yeah it was hugely exciting and there was um, a big deal made about the launch for it as well John Delaney was in town um, launched it in typical John Delaney style of like you know this is going to be great it's going to be great for football in the region um, the quote uh, I saw on the first two this morning was this agreement's a very positive development for football in Munster work will now turn towards developing the side for the benefit of the game regionally and nationally in the coming years that was seven years ago back in 2016 it was launched uh, with uh, Forus and the County Council then and it was massively exciting however I think and I know we are quite cynical people (laughs) we were kind of like we've been around football in not only just Cork but the League of Ireland for long enough to know this will but look we've had Bishopstown that was supposed to be this brand new centre that was built out on on the outskirts of Cork that never really happened it's now essentially a shell we were talks of the the, what was then the horseshoe that was supposed to be potentially taken over and used as a social venue that didn't happen we've had Flower Lodge then being uh, as then sold to the GAA Mm. for a fairly minuscule amount when you look back on it being redeveloped into what's now Parky Ring and like I mean the question is 
is here. Do the FAI seriously take Cork football? Do they take Cork football seriously in the development of Cork football seriously? Well, the FAI statement was very, very patronising, saying that it no longer represents the greatest return on investment for the parties involved. <laughs> so that suggests to me that the FAI are unwilling to spend 10 million quid on football, not just in Cork. Yeah. Not just in Cork City, not just in Cork County, but the wider Munster region. And that suggests to me that they don't care. Well, I mean, you talk about an investment on money, and I'm going to bring in uh, Paddy O'Sullivan, who's a uh, TD, Fianna Fáil TD for Cork North Central. He, of course, was right at the Mm. beginning uh, and all the way through. um, And I'll come to you in a second, Paddy. But, like, you talk about a return to investment. You've John Egan, Adam Ida, Chidoze Ogbené, Alan Brown... Um, I'm definitely going to forget some. I'm trying to think of the mm. other ring man. Okay, Quivin Kelleher, of course. I mean, you look at Ida, not, not Ida, but um, uh, Chido Zeogbeni and Alan Brown went through Cork City. We've had the likes of Brian Lenehan in the past, Kevin Long. Um, you know, I mean, these are all Cork-born players that have represented their country on stage with quite some distinction hmm. if the FAI don't consider that a worthwhile investment then what is a worthwhile investment? And even now like Cork City's Joe Brian Whitmarsh is targeting the yeah. attention of, of Tottenham and Chelsea and you look at like, any Ireland squad over the past five years and there's been at least three or four Cork players in every single squad and for the FAI to suggest that the region do, doesn't need investment it, it, it's a little bit insulting um, it, it's been going on far far too long now I know you've got Padraig O'Sullivan on the line he was asking questions about this in the Doyle um, it, it's just massively disappointing for, for football as a whole in Cork that it is not happening it would have been incredible an incredible training base for Cork City you would have had what six pitches uh, four for those Astros Turf, one full size artificial pitch dressing rooms it would have been a, um, a great centre for football in Cork there was thought mm. that international teams would have used it as a, a training, training base, base for like international tournaments with the Euros coming up and stuff like that it would have been a perfect base for, for teams to, to train at it would have been great for cross-channel clubs to use as a base for pre-season training and that would have generated a lot of interest. It's a massive shame it's not happening. It's a massive load of football in Cork. Padraig, what, what happened? Well, it's a good question. Um, look, I, I've been reading the FAI statement with interest. Um, it obviously doesn't say that they're completely walking away from football um, in Cork, but that they're undergoing, obviously, a process where they're going to reassess their options and... Um, Look, I've been involved in the process right from the start. I think back to 15 or 16, I can remember being up on the top floor of County Hall um, with some of the people that you've mentioned. And, you know, it was exciting. It was an exciting announcement for Cork. Um, you know, I was there as a councillor that voted to rezone the land from commercial to amenity. Uh, part of the Part 8 planning process where all the county councillors had to engage with local people to make sure that... You know, planning was granted and, and in, 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 a, in a sustainable way that we could deliver the project. And I suppose there was a lot of groundwork done. Um, so the project was essentially shovel ready. So um, does it come down to the finances, possibly? Um, the FAI were obviously given a grant over a phase basis and there was a split of 70% of the money was government funded and 30% was to fall with the FAI and, and um, whether that was the determining factor or not, I'm not sure. But um, How much of it, uh, and look, Padraig, I don't know how much 
I don't know if you can answer this question or not, but how much of it was down to the changing circumstances with Cork City themselves? I mean, at the time, we had a very active uh, forest board. It was a co- uh, essentially a cooperative. I know Pat Lyons was the man who was kind of really driving this thing forward when he was on the board. He was chairman of Cork City FC. Then we saw the takeover by Grovemore and the kind of apathy almost for them towards the club. They weren't really sure whether they were in and they were out. Now we have Dermot Usher taking over, I presume, the the horse had already well bolted at that point but how much of it is down to the fact that we didn't have a board or a community-led board in Cork City driving this thing through? Yeah, look, it's a good question. I'm not necessarily sure that's the reason why we are where we are. Um, I, I do believe the FCI's financial position, look, it's well documented that, you know, um, they wouldn't you know, have, have be flush with cash in his use that description, but you know that they wouldn't have an awful lot of money for large scale investment like this. Um, so I, I genuinely, I don't think that that had any material impact on it. Uh, that's what the priorities for me now. There's two things here. There's a significant amount of money which was, um, which was you know ring fenced for this project. And uh, the priority is to keep that money in Cork football if we can. And the second thing then is the site itself, uh, which is owned by Cork County Council, that we can maintain it, whether it's with or without the FAI's involvement um, for sporting and, and local sporting groups in, in the, the wider Glamour area. And I think that's pivotal that we achieve those two things. Yeah. What, what were some of the other stumbling blocks over the course of your attempts to try and bring this thing, to get this well, thing over the line? The site, the site itself is very challenging. And if anybody walks the site, you know, like Rory there outlined all the pitches and you know training bays and all that with it and, and, and the pavilion that was meant to go in initially. But the, the, the ground itself I'm told locally is quite challenging. There there is a kind of a nice flat piece of ground towards the road but then it gets very hilly and uh, the gradient, you know, uh, increases substantially as you, as you go up the, the, the top side of the site. So I think it was always challenging and I suppose over the last few years people have always commented and there's always been whispers that the project as it was initially envisaged might not be built but we might build something on you know the more developable side of the site so those conversations and uh, were being had with, with, for a number of years and I suppose that would have signalled I suppose the early difficulties that the site was, was in yeah, I mean, look, Rory, we were speaking there just after the, the sport about Rockmount and, and their success. And look, I suppose Munster Senior Clubs, Munster Senior League Clubs are, are fairly well endowed in terms of facilities. Rockmount have a great facility up there in White Church. Mm-hmm. And we see like even Cargilline United with a full-size Astro and a couple of grass pitches. But there's an awful lot of clubs. I mean, a huge amount of clubs who are either homeless or going around to different grounds playing in them. Um, look, I'm playing in the Business League and a lot of the clubs we've essentially half the league is playing in the Mayfield Astro <laughs> and you, but you wonder like even with underage if, if any of these clubs or any of these smaller teams want to start an underage section trying to get somewhere to play matches mm. trying to get even somewhere to train is, is proving so difficult. I remember back in my days playing football, if you got change in a shipping container, it was deemed the lap of luxury, <laughs> to be perfectly honest about it. And you see that all around the, the county as you drive around, you see football pitches uh, to the side of the grounds, they look very lonely, like there's a couple of goalposts up and there might be a shipping container there. Mm. And that's um, a football pitch that will cater to a whole community. And if you're lucky, you've got a, a, a bit of patch land next to it to, to train on during the week, so you're not destroying the pitch for the weekend. It's frustrating the centre of excellence. Um, 
not happening is massively frustrating. You mentioned Rockbounds. I had them in studio on the Big Red Bench a couple of weeks ago before the Intermediate Cup and we talked about the investment that they've made in their um, schoolboy setup. Now there's no breeding success. Success yeah. breeds success. And that's what the Centre of Excellence would have done here um, on a, a bigger scale. I mean, like if you invest in the young players of Cork um, and have this Centre of Excellence, you're going to create more Cork-based players who are going to go and play at a higher level. Therefore, increasing their quality, increasing the quality of football in Cork, increasing the football of quality uh, Cork City and then increasing the amount of players available for the national team is that long term thinking that you'd be hoping for yeah and, and Paddy, I suppose look and I don't want to look I grew up in a soccer household and uh, a slightly um, I wouldn't say anti-GA household but certainly soccer was the, the sport that was there and I, I suppose people in Cork soccer have always felt that and in, in, other, in other sports as well even the rugby I suppose with the with the whole professionalism on Munster they've managed to drag themselves slightly out of it but like it, it, they've always felt like they've gotten the rough end of the stick we see 45 million euros going towards Parky Cueve which was really barely used I mean it's only recently we started to see women's games in there there was a huge furore about even trying to get a testimonial for a Cork born soccer player who tragically passed away Liam Miller from cancer and that was to raise money for Marymount are we in an unequal sporting society here in Ireland, in Cork? Well, look, I look. I grew up in a soccer household too. I was heavily involved with Leeside there in the AOL and then the NSL afterwards. So, um, you know, like I, I come from that kind of background myself. That said, you know, we have record investment locally from the sports capital grant in the last year. You know, we have over 140 million, I think, in the end. Um, suppose specific to this site, the difficulty we have is, you know, the money was there and the FEI determined that it wasn't feasible for whatever their rationale was. But judging by their press release, they, they haven't said that they're completely walking away from football in Cork. It's just, it sounds like that they're assessing options and, and maybe they will identify somewhere else where that they can prioritise and, and, and I suppose deliver a project more cost efficiently from their own perspective. I think that project initially was going to cost, you know, this is showing 15 million and, you know, given current inflation, probably much higher figure than that. But, um, you know, as it stands, it was, it was a decision by the FEI. The money was there from the state. I think initially about three point eight million from the state, and the FEI were to match funds to about the tune of one point eight, one point nine million. That kind of figure. So it's still, it's still. Um, I mean, that's like spare change when you talk about the money that's that was put into Parky Cueve, isn't it? I mean, when you talk about a a centre of excellence for a, the most participated sport in the country, and you're talking about in the millions and not being able to get it over the line. And then 45 million euros goes to a, a stadium that's only used by elite sporting teams. Yeah, but as I said, I, I don't think the FAI, to be fair to them, are going to walk away from Cork or the idea of creating that centre of excellence that you've mentioned. I, I do believe that they're still committed to the region and that they will try and deliver a project. Now, what that project is or how it'll, how it'll work out, I, I, I don't know. Um, but I, I, look, I take your point. Um, Cork City, to be fair, the, the crowds have been good this year. For example, watching the the, the Premier League games there, you know, mm. mostly six thousand people. But I suppose Parky Cueve then is filling, you know, you know, much larger crowds for not, not just sport but for other for other activities as well. So I, I, I won't say that they're two directly comparable, um, you know, scenarios. That you know, um, I think. Maybe there is questions here for the FBI long term. Um, insofar as you know, the GA have a track record of delivering that scale infrastructure um, and, and proceeding with projects and seeing them through to the end. And maybe the FBI, 
to have a look at themselves and how, and how they do it. Yeah, Paddy, look, thanks so much for joining us. As you say, look, uh, hopefully the door isn't closed on Glanmire or indeed a, a centre of excellence in Cork. But Rory, I suppose it brings us back to the initial point just before I let you go. It, I wouldn't be waiting with bated breath. Uh, no. <laughs> That's pretty much it. I wouldn't be waiting with bated breath at all. We've been around the block far too many times, Kev. Yeah, uh, certainly. But look, uh, fingers crossed. The Neil Brenderville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818-104-106. Okay, coming back to an earlier topic we spoke about earlier this week. That, of course, being of GA Go and indeed cashless ticketing. Now, Michal Martin uh, speaking the other day, um, saying that he believes that uh, the game of hurling has lost the most and that uh, everyone loves to watch a good game of hurling. Um, I'm joined by Nat O'Connor, policy specialist at Age Action, Action Ireland. Nat, many people weren't able to watch it last week. We had Don Logue on the, in on the debate. We've had Michal Martin in on the debate. Where does Age Action Ireland stand on the streaming of games um, as opposed to having them available for people to watch on TV? Well, I suppose our major concern is that not everybody is using the internet uh, for a whole variety of reasons. Uh, if we look at the million people who are age 60 and older, there'd be over 300,000 not using the internet at all. And that's largely people age 70 and upwards, but still it's an awful lot of people. And of those who are using the internet, there'd be about half of those who have below basic skills, according to European surveys. And they mightn't have the wherewithal to... To, to do complex transactions online. They might be comfortable with the kind of payment online or setting up uh, a digital device to stream something like GAA Go. And, of course, nearly half of households with older people don't have a computer at home, so they don't necessarily have the digital device uh, that's involved. So there's a number of barriers there to the digital inclusion of older people. And when we see important things such as, you know, major sporting events going on to streaming platforms that are, you know, online that require you to have computer skills, that require you to have digital devices, then our concern is that just leaves out an awful lot of older people. I suppose, look, Diego's argument is that it allows them to stream more games and if you can get yourself online, you're much more likely to follow your teams. I mean, we saw during the pandemic the amount of elderly people that were able and, and people of all ages able to watch their even local club teams and those streaming services have continued so I suppose the argument there is made that look the game is unlikely to be given scheduling on TV anyway so this is just an opportunity for people to watch it Well I suppose the, the, the you know where GA goes expanding people's opportunities that's great if it's putting on games that people couldn't see because they're abroad or they're games that wouldn't get broadcast that's fair enough but our concern is that there's, there's games which would have been streamed on Sky Television, for example, for one season, uh, and now are going on to GA Go. So they're not available on RTE free-to-air. And these are the kind of games, major games, that would have been available on RTE in the past. So what we're concerned about, I suppose, is, is a sort of a creeping situation where more games are going on to this exclusive platform, and that's pushing people out. And, of course, on the other side of this, you know, you have a cashless policy, which means that for some older people, you know, they, they find it more difficult to go to a match. Some people are choosing not to go to matches because they're embarrassed because they can't pay cash in, in the regular way. We've had a lot of calls about that uh, and concerned uh, people. So, you know, it's, it's just when you add these things together, our concern is that it's pushing out older people to an extent and we need to make sure that that doesn't happen. But look, we'll speak about the cashless um, uh, ticketing in a minute because it is something that I suppose people are, are struggling with a lot. A lot of shops in Cork, even Krispy Kreme recently saying that they're they're going cashless and I suppose 
a lot of people feeling like they're being pushed out. But just back on the GA Go streaming service, I mean, who is, you know, when you when you speak about trying to get these games back on TV, RTE are saying it's up to the GA. The GA are pushing back on it as well. So, I mean, what, how, how likely are we to actually uh, have the this reversed or is it just more likely that this is the way the world is and if you want to watch games then you have to get up to speed well I suppose our concern is that you know the situation is going to be for the next 15-20 years that there are several hundred thousand people in Ireland not online not mm. using the internet not able to use devices and it's our choice as a society you know do we take measures to make sure they're included so for example you could make sure that there are venues uh, around the country where you can go into your pub or hotel and watch GA on the screen there. If that's available, that's a way of balancing things out. But our concern is that if there's just a, a big push for online and saying to people, Asher, you have to get on board, you know, there's so many barriers. You know, lots of people, older people, do learn to use computers and are flying when it comes to the internet. But not everybody has the, the opportunity to do that. Not everybody has the money to afford digital devices and, you know, subscriptions and upgrades and all the rest that comes with it. So, you know, those barriers are real and we have to make sure that it doesn't create a society that just freezes out uh, a whole section of people. Uh, how surprised were you that it took a, a cork tip match for the, the Taoiseach to intervene. I mean, or the Taunish, should I say, to intervene. I mean, like we've had online banking for years, which is forcing people out of banks. We've had physical banks closing for years. You know, a, an awful lot of things are, are moving now to a purely online system. And yet it takes cork and tip down the park on a Saturday for Michal Martin to actually come on and speak out about it. Well, I mean, in fairness, the, the banking issue, uh, you know, has been an issue that has been a major concern. And when AIB announced they were going cashless with a whole lot of branches, there was huge pushback and they reversed that decision. And we've seen, you know, there was a, a retail banking review by the government and they're looking at, you know, making sure people have access to cash because the government commissioned a major survey and it showed many people across all ages, but particularly older people, rely on cash, want access to cash and manage their affairs, you know, on a weekly basis through just you know, having physical money. And that's not going to go away anytime soon. And when we look at societies that went too far too fast, like Sweden, they had to reverse because they realised it created a problem of social exclusion. So, 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 I mean, should there be at this stage now be a reversal on, you know, the policy where shops have the right to, to re- re- refuse cash? Should, should shops be put in a position where they're, where they're illegally obliged to, to accept cash? Yes. Uh, bluntly, at the moment it's lawful to say that you won't take cash if you put up a notice saying it's uh, card only. Um, but it, it is a discrimination. It discriminates against people who are on very low incomes, who might have proper banking facilities. There are unbanked people who just can't get in to get a, a proper bank facility. And it, it also people who, you know, for reasons of just choice and control, like to manage their affairs through cash. Uh, because the thing is this, you might have a bank card that lets you tap, but if you're someone who doesn't use the internet, you can't check your balance. And it's very easy to lose track then of what you're paying for. And if you're living week to week on the state pension or another welfare income, you know, or low wages, you need to keep an eye on your spending. So the idea that it's easy to tap, you know, it leaves out the fact that there's not only skills, but there's expense involved in having the digital devices so that you could manage your cashless transactions. And the whole of the assumptions underpinning the cashless is convenient for businesses, but, you know, it, it has a real impact on people. 
Uh, yeah, look, I, I can speak from experience. I was in London at the weekend and it was kind of like, you know, the, with the tube, we were going around in tubes and buses and everything was tap, 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 tap. I mean, I even had already previously bought a ticket to get up to Stansted and instead of scanning the ticket without even thinking, tap the phone and that was another 20 quid down the drain because I didn't even get to use the ticket that I'd ordered because I went straight to contactless. It's just, it becomes so easy now and I suppose, look, the pandemic has really accelerated that. Does there now need to be a kind of a, a really specific focus on moving back? Because of the fact that, look, I suppose contactless was, was available, but everyone was pushed so much to contactless during the pandemic with the, the idea of, you know, stopping the spread of the virus, not using physical cash. Do, do we need to start looking at campaigns now in terms of encouraging older people to use cash again or encouraging people generally to use cash again and start moving away from a purely contactless society? Well, I think it's, it's about getting the balance right. I mean, the government has a new national digital strategy and they have a draft digital inclusion strategy, which they're working on. And that's going to try and remove a lot of the barriers to help people get online who want to go online. So that's a good thing. So that, you know, we move in that direction. But on the other side, the government has also said that all of its digital by default services are not digital only. There has to be the traditional channels of communication, the phone, the post, the in, uh, in-person, over-the-counter services. And it's important that all of the, sort of the, the, the money saved, and there is a lot of money saved from putting things online, that some of that money is ring-fenced to provide people with traditional services for the next 15, 20 years because people are going to need them. And so it's about getting that balance right. It's not saying we're going to stop progress and let them all go back to cash. I mean, the, the, the tapping of the cashless is beneficial, but it's making sure that there's still space in society for the very many people who want to transact in cash. Uh, and, you know, if it's only a smaller number of people, it's not the same burden on businesses in terms of, you know, uh, getting the float or getting the kind of a van to come with cash deliveries and so on. You know, if it's a small amount of cash, it should be manageable and reasonable for high street businesses to be required to take cash. So people can buy a cup of tea and not feel embarrassed because they don't they don't simply use these cashless facilities. Yeah, and, and I suppose look, it, it brings in the question then again about the control of, of bank accounts. A lot of people like to keep cash because they don't necessarily want all of their transactions being held. I mean, even you know, younger people, I think, are kind of, uh, I suppose, you know, you fall into the trap of using contactless and not realising then when you go for your mortgage that everything is there laid out bare bones. If you've gone to a bookies to put on a bet, if you've gone on a, a, a wild Saturday night and you've dropped uh, 70 or 80 quid on a night out, that's all there laid out for the bank to see when you go get your mortgage. So this isn't just a, uh, something that affects elderly people, but do el- are elderly people being left behind by society at the moment? I mean, you see, again, like this G- the GA system is really just a microcosm of what we're seeing across the board in terms of you you go to book in your car for an NCT or you want to try and sort out your tax or you want to pay a bill you're constantly being pushed online is society or certainly at least the economy at the moment leaving behind elderly people well there's certainly a problem we get a lot of contact from older people and there's a lot of concern people got very frustrated when certain public services were online only during COVID. And you can understand during the emergency that might have been necessary. But people, you know, the simple things, having to renew your driving license, getting a passport, you know, the relentless push to going online and having an online ID and so on, it it grinds people down because it's very onerous. You know, if you don't have those skills or if you have to, um, you know, if you don't have a digital device at home and you have to go out to a place like a library, whatever, to use a digital device, then it all adds up to a lot of extra hassle that people feel uh, in relation to all this. And in some cases, it, it, it seems like it's very much for the convenience of the service 
rather than about providing a service to the people. And it's about, you know, putting emphasis on, you know, at the end of the day, these are public services. They're paid for by the people. They're meant to serve the people. And that means all of the people, including through traditional channels of communication. Okay, I'm interested to hear what you think. You can uh, call us 0818104106 or text uh, 0868104106. Now, O'Connor, um, Policy Specialist, ADA Jackson Ireland. Thanks very much. Thank you. Talk to Neil Prendeville now. 0818 104 106. Cork's Red FM. So that's my lot this Wednesday, the 10th of May. Thank you very much for joining me, Kevin Galvin. Thanks again to my team as well, Seamus uh, Wheelahan, Claire O'Connor and Ashling Desmond for all their help. Uh, but here at 12 o'clock is the news with Lan O'Connor. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.